What's up, guys? Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are live. Welcome to episode one of the Josh Forty Effect. And guys, like, here's the deal. I want to go through and I want to do like this big long presentation and or like going through like, welcome back. Here's the show. Here's what it is, whatever. But like episode one is uh, I have a very special guest. All right. And for those of you that can't see this on the video, I am joined by the man who actually I have to start off with a joke. All right. He Russell Brunson. I get called a Russell Brunson fanboy a lot. And it's funny because they say that as an insult, right? And I go, if that's what you're going to insult me about, then I will take the insult because there, if there is one man who has changed my life, changed my business, and who I'm so ridiculously honored to have on the show today, Mr. Russell Brunson, thank you, man, for coming on the show for episode one of the new podcast. Oh, man, no worries. I'm excited to be here, and um, it's been such a pleasure watching you over the last I even know now four or five years and seeing your growth and evolution. And so uh, proud to be here, excited to be here and uh, excited for you, dude. This is like the beginning of a new chapter in your life, which is like so exciting. Yeah, dude, it's, it's crazy. The last man, really, I mean, we've been trying to, we've been trying to get the trademark for the last podcast for like two years now. Mm -hmm. And so like, this has been, after we kind of like learned about like, Oh, having to like shut it down and everything like that. It's been, it's been like the last six months has been one of the most, um, I don't know. I don't even know if the word's confusing, Mm -hmm. But it's just like, you, you ever, you ever like, I mean, I'm sure you have, but like you sit in your office and you like stare at the wall or you like lay on the floor and you like stare at the ceiling and you're just like, what do I do next? Yeah. Right? Like, what is the next? Like, I felt like that lasted for like 10 decades, man, like of, of just like sitting there in the office and trying to go through, but I'm super, super excited about this. Um, the Josh 40 effect though, I, I want to start off with something that is breaking like basically every rule of like branding and marketing and certainty and everything like that. I want to <laughs> open up by saying, this podcast is a podcast designed to make you smart. But here's the thing, Russell, and I want to ask you this right off the bat here. My brain, I, I, do, I do some, some uh, feedback, customer feedback, right? Go back to my ideal listener and talk to them. And I asked Brad Gibb and I asked a lot of my students and I went back and with the tagline of, hey, it's the Josh Forty Effect. It's a podcast designed to make you smart. And like half of them freaked out. And they were like, this is amazing. I freaking love it. Like, I want to be smart. Like Brad Gibb is over there. He's like the smartest person I know, right? He's like freaking <laughs> nerd of nerds. And he's like, I want to be smart. It's amazing. Right. And then like the other half of the people I got, they're like, well, I don't know. Smart is like, I don't know. I, it's fine, it should right? be smarter. Right. It should be. And so they want to put an ER at the end of it. And so my expert secrets brain, right. <laughs> I have it right here. I read it like basically every day. Right. Is like, you can't do it. Offer. You can't it do it's it. an improvement offer. Right. <laughs> so like, here's my question to you, Russell. I have a podcast and this podcast is really designed and we'll kind of get into the origin story here in a little bit, but like it's designed to make people smart. And it, like, cause I, I went through and I kind of, I went through all my values and I sat down and was like, what are the words that best describe me? What are the best words that best describe what I'm trying to help people do? Right. Mm -hmm. And like the number one word that I came back to is freedom, but like, I didn't really want to like have like a freedom podcast for many reasons. It's kind of really, really hard to sell freedom, right? So we can talk about it and that is, but the second thing that like always came back and I feel like it's the one thing that universally pretty much everybody can control is like anybody can learn to be smart, right? And we'll, we'll get into that more, but like, so for me, I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to super smart people, talk to experts, right? Go out there and surround myself with people that are way smarter than me to become smart and everybody can come along on the journey. And so for me, it's like, we're going to go be smart together. So <laughs> here's my question to you. Should we call it smart? Podcast is going to make you smart or smarter. See, it's so fascinating because, um, as you know, like we are talking about, if there's ER, it's like an improvement offer, but smart seems like finite. Like I'm either smart or not smart. And then when I'm smart. I'm like, sweet, I'm smart. Can I stop listening now? Or any Spartan different areas or 
Or smarter is like, for me, it's eternal progression. Like I always want to keep getting better and better and better and smarter and smarter. So maybe the other question is like, who listens to podcasts? Is it people, you know, we talk about the value ladder, like the beginning of the value ladder, you're bringing people into your world on a new opportunity. But then at the back end of the value ladder, like my inner circle is definitely an improvement offer, but it's for the top of the value ladder. So maybe podcasts are people who are looking for improvement. It's a smaller segment, but anyway, I don't know. I could argue it as I just did like both ways. So. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because so, and I told you this right before the podcast, but I think this is relevant, right? I I'm pretty obsessed with like understanding myself and understanding just like people and psychology and how you know people work or whatever. So I did this personality test from Jordan Peterson, who's like one of my favorite freaking awesome. like that dude. I could just well, you sit down and you listen to Jordan Peterson and you just feel smart, right? Like you just do, right? And so I take this personality test and he. I'm watching this course by him and he's basically, he's got, got this thing called the big five, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the big five personality traits that they go through and measure. And then each one of them has like two categories, right? And that's what makes it up. And so one of them, you know, they measure like assertiveness and enthusiasticness and, you know, all this, but one of them is the politeness scale, right? Like how polite are you? <laughs> and so one of the arguments that I got back from, you know, people that were like saying smart is, you know, saying the podcast is trying to make you smart is like Not pretentious polite. and like, you know, like you're, you're arrogant, you know, blah, blah is that it like was going to offend people uh-huh now I, I don't know if anybody has not been listening to me for the last like two years but <laughs> offending people is not really something that's high on my radar as far as like me being worried about but i took this personality test and i get the results back and it's on a scale from like one to 100 right and it's mm -hmm. like out of 100 people in a room where do you fall on the rank of each thing and so like in assertiveness, I was like 98th percentile, right? And in like, um, you know, being enthusiastic, I was in like the 82nd percentile or whatever. For politeness, I was number zero. <laughs> like not number one, like zero. <laughs> so I'm like here trying to design this podcast and people are telling me, Josh, you're going to offend people. And then I take this personality test like, and it's like- I offend them? That's making yeah. <laughs> I don't even see it. <laughs> So yeah, so that's the struggle, man. That's the struggle is we're still trying to figure out, we're going to get feedback back. I think for now, I think for now, we're probably going to stick with smart. But if we, uh, if we go over, uh, over time and we find that people are just like, Josh, you're Maybe season prank. one is smart and season two is smarter. Maybe that's Ooh. the evolution. And then season three is like the most smartest of all time. The most smartest, the Iron, Iron Man level smart. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Elon Musk level smart. Maybe we, yeah. when we get, when, when we get Elon Musk on, on the show. change the whole thing. Yes. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I have. Uh, my list of top 10 people that I want to interview. You're on that list, by the way. And I think I've checked that off, right? Like, nice. yeah, there's like a couple times. Um, but Elon Musk is one of them. Joe Rogan is one of them. Uh, Tom Brady, who... I'm trying to get Joe Rogan for Funnel Hacking Live. He's not easy to get because that'd be insane. But oh yeah. my... Can you imagine that? Gosh. Yeah, it's not easy though. So I don't think it's... Yeah, don't, I'm not okay. even putting out this happening, but like it's on my radar. We are pursuing, but it, man, he's a, he's a hard date. Well, okay. <laughs> I think this is a good transition um, into a topic that I do want to talk about, which is the Dream 100, okay? Wait, wait, hold on. Before we go into your topics, this is your first episode. I think yes. for those who are like just getting into your world for the first time, you're just like, who is this Josh Forty guy? What is the effect? How's it going to affect me? I want to flip the tables if you're cool for like a minute yeah. or two because yeah. you, this is not like your first podcast episode. This is your first podcast episode now. I would love for you just to like let people know like, kind of like the backstory of the history of what happened and then how you get rid of it. And then what like people can look forward to in this episode. Cause some of them, this is like the first introduction to you. And I know you're here to interview me, but like, I want to flip it because yeah, uh, like, they need to know who you, they got to care about the host because if they care about the host. They're going to stay and stick with you for the next 2000 episodes. till you get Elon Musk. So until you get Elon Musk, hopefully it won't take 2000 episodes, but, <laughs> yeah. but hopefully, hopefully not. Maybe who knows? 
All right, yeah, well, I appreciate it. So um, I'll, I'll kind, of, kind of tell the origin story or the, kind of the backstory about how this particular podcast came about. But, like, I got to back up because, obviously, this journey did not start here, right? So, gosh, back in 20, beginning of 2019, mm-hmm. yes, beginning of 2019, I go and uh, I start my for the podcast. And the kind of the super, super quick origin story, backstory to me, you guys can go listen to the full podcast, Think Different Theory, like to kind of hear the full backstory. But I go and I'm actually at Funnel Hacking Live in 2018, I think, beginning of, two, or, or end of 2017. And I'm sitting in like, the, it was like the second or third row next to Steve Larson and uh, uh, Colton was there and a couple other people. And I'm sitting there with watching Allison Print speak, right? And I love Allison, right? We've had her on the show. She's amazing. But at the time, I didn't know Allison. And all I see is Allison up there on stage being like, I'm making millions of dollars and I'm working like two hours a day and my kids are rich and I'm rich and everything is wonderful. And I'm like, at the time in my business, working like 80 hours a week, right? And like throwing my head against the wall, like trying to make it all work and just cannot figure out like how she's making so much money right and so i remember sitting there and i'm just like screw you lady like who the who the frick right like this and so i end up go home and i'm i was making great money at the time but it was like making great money and keeping great money are two different things right and so i kind of had this crash cycle and i cancel all these clients i refund tens of thousands of dollars and i spend like the next like nine months going and studying mindset and that out of that was born think different theory which was the kind of this whole podcast that was designed to make people think designed to make people think differently about life because i felt like mindset was kind of this thing of like if you just mastered your mindset you could have anything in life right and that's kind of what i was learning and so um my brother passed away shortly after i started it and so i got to kind of document that whole entire journey pretty publicly in fact i think that's probably what brought a lot of attention to it early on was just how open i was kind of talking about that and kind of sharing that whole journey we obviously went around the world um with that but through that entire process, like I just became like so ridiculously obsessed with the mind, right? And like human potential and how the mind worked and like how to reprogram the mind and how your brain is like literally like this computer program that you can like program, right? And like you can rewrite the software inside of your mind to kind of basically become whoever you want to become and do this. And so through the process, I hire Katie Richardson, who is my mindset coach for a year and a half and like just, I mean, completely, I mean, like you level changing my life, right? I mean, like I worked with her very, very closely and like studied all this about the mind. What was very interesting was, is that the more I got into mindset and the more that I got into like studying how the brain worked, I kind of realized like, this is really good, but I've got to do something with it. Mm-hmm. Because like, if you actually want the benefit of the mind, you actually have to go out and like do it, right? Like you have to take action. It's not just about understanding it conceptually, right? Yeah. And so I would go out and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had this company, I had the business, we were working with all these clients or whatever. And so naturally I was like, well, I think I understand how this works. And so I would like get into religion a little bit. And then I would talk about politics and I wrote the politic way pretty hard, right? And like, was just like testing different things. I was like, who, I wonder if this will trigger, pe- not trigger people, but like, I wonder if this will warrant <laughs> this response. Yeah. Right, right, right. It does warrant this response or this will do this. And I wonder if I can make money here. And so like, I started like testing and going and doing all of these things. And it was interesting because my platform, the podcast gave me the ability to go test all these different things and try all these different things. Mm-hmm. But the issue was, is that as I went further and further down that road, like, yes, I got to understand mindset way better. And I got to understand myself way better. But like I caused a ton of confusion in my brand. Right. Because people are like, wait, are you the business guy or are you like the political guy? Are you the Trump <laughs> dude? Are you the religious? Dude? Like, like, who I are you? <laughs> right. Like, I, but like people loved watching me. Right. Because it was yeah. so fascinating. Right. And I would get messages all the time that are like, we don't even know what you do, but like, you're so fascinating. Like, keep it up, man. Like, and I'm like, cool. Like, that's great. But like, when it comes to like trying to be an expert, when I'm trying to build a movement, something long term, something sustainable, and really for me, like, make the lives of those around me better, like, that doesn't really do that. Right. And so here I was, and I felt like, 
in without trying to be like super arrogant in any way, shape or form. But like, I felt like I had a lot of these really cool talents and things that I was figuring out. Right. But I felt like I wasn't using them to the potential that they should be used. Right. Like I wasn't, there wasn't a clear direction of what I was doing with it. Right. And so what's interesting is this whole entire time we're trying to get the trademark for think different theory, because, well, I poured my heart and soul into this brand for like three years. Right. And so I go and like this desire of mine is I'm trying to become the best I can. I want others to become the best I can. And so think different theory is supposed to be the thing that did, did that. And so we file for the trademark, which I don't know if you know this story, but like we filed for the trademark like almost two years ago. Oh, wow. And we get all the way down to the very last day. Like it was the day, the next day we were supposed to have the trademark and Apple files for an extension. <laughs> and it's like, hey, like we think you're infringing on our trademark. Another like six months goes by and we get down to within the last like day or two when we're supposed to be approved again, Apple still hasn't done anything. And then they file for another extension. And I'm like, what the frick? But of course it's Apple. They get special treatment. They can do whatever the frick they want, right? And so they, we go. And then in you know quarter three, end of quarter three of last year, that's when I get the email back. And it was basically like, hey, like you lost your appeal. Like Apple's basically like, you got to shut the whole thing down or we're going to sue you. And like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. Like you're, I'm a 20, I'm about to be 28, right? I'll be 28 when this drops. Like I'm a 27 year old kid this time. Just trying to go out there and have an iPhone. Like I'm a fan, right? Like I'm a massive fan. Like I make fun of people that have an Android. Right. But, uh, at that moment, like it was, there was this moment of like, just so stuck, such crippling, like just what next, right? Like, what do you do when you just sit there at the wall and you're staring at the wall and you like pace back and forth and you don't want to sign any more clients and you don't want to put it on another product because you don't know, Right? Like you don't know what the next step is. You don't know where it is that you're going. And, and like that really, really messed with me. It's right? not something you think about because especially you, but I think entrepreneurs as a whole, like we thrive off of certainty. So you had certainty. When you had it, you were able to, <clears throat> to move and execute and all these kind of things. And as soon as like your foundation, the certainty moved, it like, sh- like crippled you, right? Yeah. It's interesting. I think some people don't understand that where they're like, you know, like they lose their certainty and then everything falls apart. It's like you, if you don't have that baseline certainty, like it's hard to go and, and do all the other things. So how long, I'm curious, how long were you in that spot where you're like uncertain before you, you know, before you're able to like plant your flag and then feel for like feel comfortable going back in? Yeah, it was like two months, but like not two months of it being a little affected, like two months of my entire life being on hold. Identity crisis, yeah. Like for real though, right? I had gotten married earlier in 2021. Uh, I married freaking, shout out Leah. She's down in Florida right now and doing her yoga stuff, but like, she's amazing. I love her to death. Anyway, so we get married and like life was going great after that. And then like this happens and it was like to the point where Leah was like, I mean, she didn't tell me this at the time. It was like (laughs) after the fact, she's like, I I got a little bit worried about like your comp. Like she's like, I've never had to worry about you being confident, right? Like your self-image, your self-esteem is like not an issue, right? Like I think I'm amazing. But like she was like, you you were so lost, right? Of like trying to figure out what came next that like, because we had to, and you know this because of publishing, right? Like you publish, you publish, you publish, you publish. And like publishing is kind of like my pulse. It's the way I think. It's the way I process. It's the way that like some people have writing. Like I have creating content, right? And that's, I do videos and I do podcasts and stuff. And so like we had to shut down all of that, like basically immediately. Like Apple is basically like, you can't create any more content with that branding. And so like my podcast stops and like, that's my, my thinking mechanism. Yeah. And like, you're, I'm sitting around there and not signing any clients and not, you know, not for trying to figure out what's that. And just going back to like the mindset thing of like, okay, like, what do I know about myself? And, you know, coming back to Katie Richardson, my, you know, the mindset coach, I pay her 60 grand a year, right? The very first question she asked me when I came to her with business problems and with life problems and all this stuff, the very first question she asked me was like, who am, who, or who are you? Right. 
And I was like, I couldn't answer that question. Right. And so I went through this whole entire process of sitting down and making out this list of, okay, like, what are my values? Like, what are the things that I believe? What are the things that I know to be true? What are the things that are important to me? What are the things that I'm trying to do? And like, it all came back to freedom and being smart. Like freedom was the number one thing. I'm like, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to do it. Like I'm, that is like, that's my decision, not yours. Right. I don't care if it's in the government in money in whatever. Right. And then the second was, I really, really, really valued being smart. Because in this entire process, in this entire journey of studying the mindset, I felt like your ability to be smart is like the one thing that universally anybody can control, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't choose your siblings or your parents or your social status, where you're born. You can't choose your gender. You can't, like you can't do, choose, but what you can choose is you can choose how smart you're going to be, right? And you can go out there and you can study and you can learn. And so as I sat down and I was going through, I had, and I, I wrote this in an email that kind of went out and I had this moment of, I'll never forget it. And it's way deeper than what I'm going to share publicly. But like, I was out on a walk, I was praying. I was, you know, you know, asking God like for clarity or what next. And there was that moment of like this audible voice of, I was out just, we were, there was this pond over here, this beautiful area, walking area. It was like this audible voice of like, you must die. I must live. And this isn't about you. Right? Like, and it was like, wow. Right? And then I go home and this is, the craziest thing ever. I open up a YouTube and I start watching videos and a video of yours popped up. And on the video, it was you being like, this isn't about you. This is about your customer. You got to think about it from their needs. I'm like, oh my gosh, timing. Right. (laughs) And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, now the question shifts. Now the question doesn't become what is in it for me. This question becomes, how do I make the future of this brand about other people? How do I go and make other people's lives better? How do I go and, you know, take it from that perspective? And so I sat down, I started writing, and I wrote this down at the end of the year that my number one goal for 2022 was to make the lives of every single person that I interact with better. And like, as I was saying that, then my wife, and I got to give all credit to her for the name, she goes, well, what if you call it like the Josh Forty effect, like the people, the effect that people have, like when they interact with you, and when they come on your show, and like when they're around you. And like, that's how the, that's how the new brand came out. And like, when she said that, it was like, we went to yoga that night. Because, you know, she teaches yoga and it's like the yin classes and you're laying there. And it was just like this release, right? It was like, oh my gosh, I finally found it, right? Like, this is the thing. And so that's what kind of where it came out of was this podcast is really designed to surround myself and hopefully now then the listener with smart people, with experts, with people that are committed to being better, committing to actually going out there and being smarter. Because I believe that the quality of your life is directly related to how smart you are right? Like you can directly affect the quality of your life by improving how smart you are, by being able to make better decisions, by surrounding yourself with the right people. Yeah. And so that's kind of the origin story of how that came Dude, about. Exciting. And now here we are at the very beginning. It's and now here we are. This Episode is like one. the moment where it all begins, the seeds being planted. And it's going to be amazing to see what grows in the next couple of years. I'm pumped, man. Yeah. And I'm really excited about it. And uh, it'll be super fun to kind of get back into the swing of things. And this is the probably the definition of just like, like I know I've launched tons of episodes, you know, content before and done launches and had clients and everything like that. But like, this is just kind of one that I was just like, okay, I've got it. Let's launch. Let's go. Right. And then we, and we just, and we're not doing a massive, you know, we're not doing like a, a massive, massive launch on it where we're doing it much more evergreen and we're putting it out, we're promoting it, we're running ads to it and whatever. And so it's like way less hypey, right? We're, it's like, we want quality people. We want people that are here to like commit. We want people that are going to be here to like, be like, no, I'm an expert. Like I'm committed to being smart. And we're really, really focused on that. And then from that, and what's funny is, is from that, then that's when I learned kind of my new, new opportunity with Master Stories. And we'll talk more about that later. But um, we got, ah, God, it's like the coolest thing in the entire world because it's the story. You back in certainty is awesome because now you can change the world again. Ah, it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. Okay, I have a question for you, though. I want to I come back to the topic of the Dream 100. Okay. Um, if, if that's cool. 
You got it. We're good. You okay. got me, All right. Whatever you want. All right. Cool. So I want to go back to Dream One Hundred with Joe Rogan because you know you're talking about trying to get Joe Rogan, and the Dream One Hundred is. I don't know. It's interesting because I, I didn't know that it was called the Dream One Hundred like when I first started doing it, right? Like reaching out and trying to get people's attention or whatever. And then I started Dream One Hundreding you, and it started with Steve Larson, and then it kind of eventually. But I want to I want to ask a question that has probably been asked to me. I'm not even kidding. At least a hundred times by my audience, but I've never had the opportunity to ask you this question mm-hmm. in this context, which is. I want to know, like, what was it like being Dream 100 by me? Mm. Like, what's the other side of that story? When did you start to notice? What worked? What didn't work? Interesting. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. So I think, like, the, the interaction. So <clears throat> a couple things for me is, like, you kept showing up, like, in different platforms, right? Like, I saw you uh, online, and you're not quite online, so it's, it's easy to see pop up more, more than once. And you start recognizing, like, a face with, the, with a personality, um, and then I remember seeing you, like you show up to events. So I see you in the audience, you know, three girls back, five girls back. Um, and then uh, um, the time, honestly, the time, the first time I was like, that guy's awesome was at 10X Miami. I was on stage and those who don't know. So I was speaking at Grant Cardone's event. There's like, I don't know, 35,000 people in a baseball, the Mariners baseball stadium. Right. And so there's like fans up at the bottom and there's like the people on the ground floor. And I remember you were like running up and down the aisles or something. While I was speaking, do you remember this or no? Maybe this is. A- I mean, I run up and down aisles a lot. So. Yeah, but you, you're like coming up the aisles. I remember seeing because I was speaking. I looked out and I saw you in the aisles, and you like looked so excited and so happy. And I was like, I see this guy everywhere. He's in my world. He's he's like connecting everywhere. But like, look how like he's here and he's anyway. Like that was the time I was just like, huh. And then that was the the connection point where hmm. it shifted from like just being aware to like, huh. I want to get to know this person better. I think you're, I think shortly after that's so when your brother passed away. And so I kind of, you know, I was very aware of you at that point. I saw that and like watched you kind of go through that journey. And, um, and then I remember, I can't remember where it was at, but I remember one time you asked me, um, do you remember this? You asked me like, what, like if I give you any gift or anything. Oh yeah. Was- Steve, it was Steve Larson's offer lab. That's where it was at. Yeah. Sorry. Or offer mine. I'm sorry. Uh, in Boise. It was like and- an elevator. You're getting an elevator. Something. I remember it was like this, this moment where it was like, everything's about to like, in my head, it's like everything's closing, and you're like, if I can you anything in the world, what would it be? And I was like, old books, and then like, boom, it it, it, it literally the elevator door closes. You're standing there with Dave, you walk out, and I'm like, okay, this is my chance because I saw you speak, and then you were in the back of the room talking. I think you're talking to Brad, um, and like, I didn't know Brad well enough at the time just to like walk up and be like, sup, Brad, sup, Russell, right? And so, like, as you're walking out, I'm like, this is my chance. I run over there, and like, Dave Woodward is standing right next to you, and like, for those of you that don't know Dave, like, Dave is like the nicest human being you'll ever meet. Like he's also like I feel like super protective. People say and he's so, the nicest mean guy ever. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, right, right. And so like I run up to it, and like you can like just tell Dave was on alert, and he was like pushing you into the like like hit the elevator button and try like trying to get you in there, right? Because I'm like this predator, like running up, like ah, right. And I was like Russell, I know, like you get asked a million times, I'm not trying to sell you anything, I'm not trying to pitch you anything. I'm, like I just need to know, I'm trying to dream 100 you. I just told you straight up, I'm, like I'm trying to dream 100 you. Like what's a gift that I can get you, right? Like what are you interested in? And the only thing you come up with is literally you're standing on the elevator, and the doors like come to go shut, and you're like. Ah old books I'm like all right and like <laughs> ding and the elevator door shut and like that was it and next thing i know i get a 1920s uh book of mormon uh which again i have a huge book of mormon collection i have a bunch of first editions other editions and you gave me a very rare 1920s uh book of mormon uh which was super cool and it showed up and i have it on my shelf and i know exactly where it's at and i that was yeah you listened you paid attention versus um you know some people who dream 100 and they they don't pay attention, <laughs> you know, like they just send you something random. Like I've had people send me, um, 
Uh, I've had a lot of people send me alcohol, things like that, which is like <laughs> nice, I guess, but I've never drank it in my entire life. So I like, I get this big old thing of, and it's like beautiful and expensive. The bottle's amazing. I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this. I don't even know. I have no context if this is a value or not. So I'm always like to people in the office that I'm like, does anyone want this? They're all freaking out. I'm like, oh yeah, like, yeah. like thanks. I don't even know what this is. Like, but it, but like it's understanding who your audience, like who you're going after, right? Like when I was gonna dream 100 Tony Robbins the first time, like first time I had the connection, I got to meet him. I was like, hey, I need to like solidify this relationship somehow in my head. And it was it was at UPW, so I'd gone to his event. Uh, he took me backstage. I had a chance to eat dinner with him and talk. And like at UPW, he talks about how like the military tried to hire him and he was too too busy. And so, but they like let him fly a black hot helicopter. So like that's why he decided to do. It. I'm like, how do I compete with? the U S military impressed Tony Robbins. I'm like, I got to think of something. I got to think of something. And I remembered when I talked to him, one of the first things he asked me, he's like, so you started this with a potato gun, huh? And that was just like in passing. So I was like, okay, he knows the potato gun story. How do I, how do I, you know, we've had this introduction. I need to like solidify. So he'll never forget me ever. And so I went and got the potato gun that we built on the, how to make potato gun DVD. And I figured out where he, where he, he has a summer home in, uh, in, um, in Sun Valley, Idaho. And so I was like, because if if you shoot potato gun in California where he lived at the time, I'm like, I don't know, maybe we get arrested. I don't know, but I know, <laughs> like, we love this kind of thing. And so I found out, anyway, I found out where he lived, or you know, it's kind of creepy, but I found out how to get. I didn't find out where he lived. I found out how to get this to the home that he lives in Idaho. I found out when he was going to be there, so we had it shipped there. And sure enough, it's like a month after I'd met him initially, and also his next impression of me is like he gets to his home and there's a big old package. He opens up and there's a potato gun, and he messaged me. He's like, dude, Russell. He's like, he's like. I'm like this big kid. I've never had him tear gun or shot one. Like, how does this work? Like, you know, Tony's like the most coachable person in the world. Like, show me how it works. Teach me the tactics. Like, how do I right, right, right. Yeah. handle the furthest? It's so like we had this next connection point. And now Tony's never going to forget who I am, right? Because of that. Not because like I sent him some random gift, but it was something that there was a connection point where now, now he's never going to forget Russell Brunson's name, right? And I, now I'm never going to forget Josh Fordy's name. Like, how do you, how do you do Dream 100 in a way where, where after you have a like initial impression that you you like solidify that with something unique, something that they're gonna tie back to you for forever. So, yeah, you did it great, and like so that's how I did it with Tony too. Like, and for me, it was a potato gun. So, anyway, interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think I think what he's well, I think you could probably just answer the question there. But like, what's the number one mistake that people make when dream one hundreding? Dude, it comes down to exactly what you talked about earlier with cut. Like, it's not about you, it's about the customer. So most people time dream 100 and it's about them. Like, let me send you my product. Let me send you my thing. Let me tell you more about me. It's like, no, no, no. Like, in fact, I think it was, oh, I can't remember who it was. It was Inner Circle. It might have been Rachel Peterson, but I might be wrong. Um, Shout out, Rachel. Yeah. Anyway, Rachel's amazing no matter what, but it may not have on her. But um, what they would do is they would go to the person's Amazon page. And like, a lot of people have like their wish list and like stuff they wish they do, or they like, and so they'd go and like actually send Dream 100 stuff and things that are on their Amazon. Like, so what do they actually want? Like, what are they looking uh, forward to? As opposed to like, what do I want to send them? So they know me. It's like, no, what idea. do they actually want? Like, what are they looking forward to? Um, you know, like for me, it's actually really fascinating. Like you sent me that book. Some people know I've uh, – actually, I don't know if you even know the level of my insanity. But over the last four months, um, I've bought conservatively at least 3,000 old books off eBay. Um, uh, it drives my team nuts because there's – 30 to 40 packages a day that show up here, but they're all like old personal development books from the 1850s to the 1950s, like that era. And wow. um, somebody saw me do something. And um, this week they, they hand delivered to my office this book. And it was crazy. Cause it was like, hey, I'd never heard of the book. It's like, Hey, this book is written by so-and-so who was the person who, who, who met so-and-so who met so-and-so who met Jim Rohn, who met Tony Robbins, who met you. And like, it was this whole genealogy. And like, they thought through it enough 
Wow. Here's a unique thing. Like so much so that I texted the person personally on my personal cell phone. Like this is the coolest gift ever. Like, um, you know, where like, again, most, most things don't get through it because it's not personal enough. And anyway, so just, it's, it's putting the extra effort. Um, that most people are like build dream hundred lists and mass spam them out stuff. Like, no, it's, it's actually building a relationship and actually building connection. Yeah. That's super interesting. What, what, um, so I want to take this one step further here. I'm being selfish. I really am. But I want, because I, I like, I want another progression. Cause I keep getting these questions of like, how'd you get Russell to invite you here? Or that? So I remember when you agreed to do the Atlas Shrug podcast, mm-hmm. which I t- totally get the Atlas Shrug part, right? You're geeking out about Atlas Shrug. You want to do that. But like, for you to commit to a three and a half hour long podcast about something that was not marketing related. Mm-hmm. Like I had people from your team from ClickFunnels reaching out that how are like, how <laughs> like that does not happen. Like first off, first off, it's not even a marketing topic, but secondly, it's three and a half hours, right? Like we went for so long there and like, it just, it blew so many people's minds. And like, me, I, I just was like, I have no idea. I sent him a book of Mormon and like tagged him a bunch of stuff. I, I don't know, interviewed people and defended click funnels. I don't know. Like, he, I don't know. but like, why, why, yeah. why did you agree to do that podcast? So it's come, it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things. Number one is what you said. Like you've been a fan, you've been a defender. You've been like, so like, I noticed those kind of things, right? Like, um, because my brand and my company is an extension of me. Like, it's funny. Cause a lot of people, it's like, oh, I, like they, 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 there's like their, their work. And then there's them for me. It's not like that. My mission and my work is one. So like when someone defends like click funnels or our editor or whatever, like they're defending me. It's like, I notice those things. Um, I'm, I don't post a lot on social media, but I'm very active watching. And, and so like, I know like I'd so, ah, anyway, I'm going to, but there's someone who I, who said something about something else who I had a relationship with, who I thought was like, I thought we were cool. And they said something not mean, but I was just like, huh. All right, well, you've been cut off anyway. Just <laughs> but um, so those things, but then also it's like you took interest in something that, uh, that I was interested in, right? Like I talked about Atlas Shrugged for like six months. I'm freaking out. And and most of the people in our world are like um, didn't say anything or they're like, oh, that book's really big. Or like, oh, and like mm. where you were the opposite where you're like, I'm going to read the book too. And you dove and you read the book and then you're like, oh, this and this and this. And also I was like, oh my gosh, there's someone who I can like have a mentally stimulating conversation with about a topic that I that I'm passionate about in the moment right now, right? Where it's hard because what I found is most people, first off, weren't willing to read the book. Number two, like they didn't get it, you know, or like whatever, but like you were willing to to read the book, have questions, and then and it was mentally stimulated in a topic in a time that I was like, I wanted, I want to go deeper on this. And so like I want to do this and I'm willing to fly to you and da-da-da-da. And I was like, okay, this is different. This is this is cool. And I I'm very big about um creating experiences like um, half the reason I'm buying all these books is because I'm trying to create a library to build an experience so entrepreneurs and people can come into a world and like experience this amazing thing, right? Funnel Hacking Lab, mm-hmm. I created because I want to experience like our two common yeah. Quebec's uh, ma- mastermind in Mexico we're doing in like a month and a half. It's like I'm creating an experience. Like I could just go and at that event speak during the middle of the day, but I do a midnight mastermind. We go from midnight to like four in the morning because it's a different experience. Like, in, like I'm always looking for like experiential things, right? So you were able to create an experience for me, for my team, for my people that was that was different. It wasn't just like, Hey, let's jump on and do an interview, which is cool. You're like, I will fly to Boise. We'll film this thing. We'll go deep. And, um, and we had to do it at weird hours. Cause like, I'm weird. I got my kids during the day. So like you were willing to go late and like, we created a really cool experience. Experience is cool. It's cool for me, probably cool for you and cool for people who yeah. tapped into it. And so it's just, you know, like all those, all those things. I mean, who of all the people, like I talked about, I've been talking about Atlas Shrugged for now two years. And I don't think there's a single person in my office who's read it, you know, where you were like, I'm going to go like, let me go and invest 
and read 1600, 1800, however, like it's so, of all time and read it. It's so big. Yeah. yeah. But it's so good. Like, um, and it's, huh. and it, and you say it's not tied to entrepreneurship, but in my world it is right. Like it's the prime movers. And like, she didn't necessarily say the prime movers were entrepreneurs, but I think today they are. And like, yeah, but for me, it was like, it was such an entrepreneurial journey. And like, and also I think it was fascinating because I'm not very political and you are. And I thought, it, I thought it would be really interesting too, to like have that angle of like, how does the politics fit this? Because it is very like how the politics are screwing up everything. So yeah. Um, anyway, so I think it's just, it's, you put in time and the effort and, and it, it shows versus most people are looking like what, what's in it for them where you're, you're looking, maybe you're not looking that way, but the way it comes off is very much like, this is someone who I respect, who I like, and I'm, and I'm putting in the energy and the effort. Um, and that doesn't go unnoticed. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah for sure. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I will say this, uh, one of the best experiences of my whole entire life was, uh, watching Jake Paul win and, uh, you've been asking and watching, you have to pay me a thousand dollars in Bitcoin. I'm still angry about that. So I know you are, <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm going to keep betting on Jake Paul until he loses because he just keeps winning. So, okay. Anyway, I have, okay. So this is a perfect bridge though. Cause one of the things that you said, and I want to kind of, I want to bridge this over to a little bit more educational side of things, talk about storytelling. And I mean, you are one of the best, if not the best storyteller that I've ever heard, like present and kind of speak and kind of go through with all your frameworks. Uh, I kid that, you know, my pastor is up there. Maybe he's a little bit better in some ways. He's <laughs> super cool anyway. Um, but that's cause he's changed my life too. So I have, you know, bias towards people that changed my life, I guess. Anyway. Um, so, so, in one of the things that you said though was super fascinating is you said Tony Robbins knew my potato gun story. Mm-hmm. Now here's what's interesting, Russell. I have this thing, and our kind of our new opportunity, the thing that we focus on, the thing that we teach people how to do is write master stories, mm-hmm. right? And the master story is what is the one story that you've got to get somebody to believe that if they know and believe that story, they will buy your product, right? Mm-hmm. And here's what's interesting. So I was doing this, this, these, uh, this research. I was doing all this, da- you know, doing all these sales calls and doing all these discovery calls with my ideal avatar. And my ideal avatar is entrepreneurs that have an expert-based business, right? So a non-physical product business that have a ClickFunnels account and that have done at least a webinar or some form of training and been frustrated with it. Like that's my avatar, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'll get on the phone with them and I'll talk to them. And 100% of the people that I talk to, not, there's not a single exception of the people that I talk to that have a ClickFunnels account have heard the potato gun story. 100% of them, right? Can I tell you, and I'm I, like, I was pulling up an email because I want to show something that reinforces this. Okay. So you know who Seth Godin is, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, like a legend. I've never talked to Seth. I've been kind of nervous and intimidated him. But last year for like live, I was like, I wanted to speak. So I emailed him. And um, unfortunately, because of COVID stuff, he wasn't able to. But literally, okay, so in the email, um, he said, um, yeah, he wrote back, said, I'm not going to be able to make this work. Seth, P.S. A long time ago, my son and I built a potato cannon. Go figure. And I was like, wait, wait, what? And so my response back was literally, the <laughs> fact that you mentioned a potato gun is literally the coolest thing ever. Um, anyway, like Seth Godin, I've never talked to him, never like even, I assumed he'd never even been aware of me, but the fact that yeah. in the one conversation I've ever had with him, he brings up in the P.S. like my son and I built a potato cannon. Go figure is insane. So just saying that like, I've been beating that drum now for almost 20 years, so long, so consistently that even like the mentors and the people that like I've looked up forever, Tony Robbins, first thing like, so talk about this potato gun, like, yeah. Okay, powerful. so I want to talk about that because what's interesting is that going back to the master story, right? The master, like I have found, and I told you this on your show, I have found that when we work with people and the thing that they're focusing on is the three secrets, if that is where their mind is, that the webinar almost always does not convert very well. 
right? Mm -hmm. But when we focus like 80% of our time on the actual story leading up to that, then all those things, like they already know them and they fall into place. And if you can, it's almost like by them telling their story, it gets them in the right mind to be able to teach the things that it, and it's gonna convert, right? And so I became obsessed with like, okay, like what's the story? Not what's the 50 stories, not what's the 30 stories, like what's the story? That like, if I just tell this story over and over and over again, and you said something one time that was very fascinating, I think it's in Expert Secrets too, it's probably why I've heard it so many times, is like inside of a story, like, you're going to use the exact same framework where the story is three hours, 30 minutes to 30 seconds, mm -hmm. right? It's the same process. And so I was like, okay, cool. Well, then there's got to be a format. There's got to be a formula. That's like, if you have this story in place, right? Like or if you follow these principles, you're going to be able to get this master story, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the fat, most fascinating part. Cause I want you to talk about the importance of the story and the importance of first off, you know, the importance of the story, but secondly, like how much the story matters compared to the avatar that you're speaking to. Because I watched you go through 100% of the people that have a ClickFunnels account like that I've talked to. They're like, yeah, I know the particular story. Russell's amazing, bro, all that stuff, whatever, right? And I'm like, cool. Did you know that Russell Brunson got on stage at the 10X GrowthCon, sold $3.2 million worth of product, and did not use the potato gun story? And they're like, what? No, no, he didn't. Like, yeah, he totally did. He used it every single time. I'm like, no, 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 he didn't. I've watched the presentation like 10 times. I know, right? And they're like, why not? And I'm like, well, because it was a different customer, right? And like, when I shared that piece with people, like it blows their mind. They're like, oh my gosh, the story that you tell is dependent upon the customer, right? And so I want you to go because like, here's the master story, which I've like freaking geeked out about. I've literally rearranged my entire company to where we have literally one product. And the one product is a workshop with me to teach people how to do master stories, right? It's what we did for Catherine Jones. It's what we did for Brad giving cash flow tactics. It's what we did for, you know, Damon Burton and the Axe Brothers, and like everybody, right? This is what we do is we write these master stories. But like, Talk to us, like, why is the master story so important or the story so important? And like, how does it change based on the customer that you talk to? Yeah. Um, so, and to, to caveat this too, for most of you guys, just so you are fully aware, um, you will tell your story so much that you grow to hate it, but your audience still loves it. Most of us will stop telling it because we're like, ah, and I'm saying every time I'm like, potato gun story. If I tell us again, I want to stab myself in the eye. But like, <laughs> but like you have to keep ringing the bell and ringing the bell because you get tired of your marketing way before your audience ever does. I learned from Nat Kennedy. Cause like people like try to make the new ad and a new thing. It's like, it's still working. Like, like your audience, like you get tired of it way before your audience. So you have to like understand that going into it. Cause again, I'm, I'm 20 years in telling this story. And like every time I'm just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> but it's important. <laughs> um, so the story, the story, and this ties back to why, like how we craft it differently for each avatar as well, because um, the goal of the story, there's a lot of things for it, right? But number one is like to build that initial rapport, right? Nobody's going to buy from you, let's say a rapport. Like if they don't believe you, trust you, like you, know you, like they don't have that, that connection, they're not going to buy from you. So the first thing we have to do with any situation is build a rapport, right? And this is true, like if you're doing a podcast interview, if you're doing a sales call, if you're doing a webinar, if you're doing a tell us like any format where you're interacting with another human. Like you have to figure out how to build rapport with them quickly. And the faster you build rapport, the more likely is something's going to happen. And so like, that's the first part I'm thinking is like, what is the story that's going to build that initial rapport? Because if I'm using it in the perfect webinar, it's the first 15 minutes of my presentation, right? Like, like this is, this is where they're going to decide if they're going to buy from me or not subconsciously before they ever get deep, right? Because subconsciously, and I've been obsessed, I'm working on my next book and like, been obsessed like conscious versus subconscious mind, understanding the connections and things like that. Because most of these things aren't happening consciously, they're happening subconsciously. Yeah. Subconsciously, your mind is looking at all the things like, do I like them? Do I trust them? Like, what are they dressing? Like, what are they wearing? How do they, they speak? They speak too fast. So they, like, are their eyes shifting? Are they looking at me? Are they looking away from me? Like, all the things are happening back here to try just to, to decide, like, do I, do I like this person? Do I trust this person? Right. And so, like, the master story is building rapport. And so that's why, like, when I was going to the 10X stage, I'm walking into this room, right? And you have to understand that. 
the 10x audience is different. And I luckily had spoken it the, the year before, so I knew what to expect. Because a typical Russell Brunson seminar, people are showing up wearing t-shirts, flip-flops, funnel hacking swag. And it's like, that's the culture of our of our tribe, yeah. right? Um, but the 10x is different. You show up there. I remember walking in, I was like, everyone's wearing suits and ties, and they're the salesperson. Like Grant's Grant attracts salespeople who want to dress nice, dress the nines. And so like when I got to that event, I had to dress a little bit differently because I needed a rapport. I didn't want them coming out like, who's this slacker internet nerd? Like, I got to dress in a way to build rapport <laughs> because subconsciously they're looking at me. And if I don't, if I'm not dressed at their level, they're saying this guy doesn't actually have money. He's not doing right. So subconscious mind's like doing all the stuff where initially is not happening, right? Number two, it's like, I knew that that room was a bunch of alphas. Like if I have, if I'm coming into that room, I, if I'm telling a potato gun story, like as, as powerful as that story is, it's not the right story for that audience because they're going to look at that as like alpha beta and like this whole thing where they're like, Oh, and like, I had to come in it's similar. Like you watch Tony Robbins when Tony comes into a room, what happens? Like he comes in 18 steps <laughs> above every other alpha in the room where everyone's like, all right, Tony, yeah. <laughs> he walked into the room and like we were all about him right like i was like i have to do that same kind of thing so i have to come in with like absolute certainty absolutely like so what's the story that's going to build that right like i have to come in i have to and so for as you know the 10x one it was a different it was a different story i came in with because all those things that i'm, that I'm thinking about like how do i and, and the, the goal of the story was the same but i have different stories that can they can because i've had different ahas in my life also about a fun like what when was it right with that audience, I knew they were high rollers. They were salespeople. They're making a lot of money. Like I've got to show them that this is the of all the ways to to make them more money. It's the funnel, and so I got to craft a story around that. And so that's kind of what I'm looking at is like is in any situation. Now, most of the people, if if I don't know the audience, you know, I'm doing a webinar or someone else's list. Like it's a whole it's a mismatch of a whole bunch of people, and I'm getting a lot. Like the potato gun story for me is the connection point because it builds that connection and rapport things quickly. Because typically in in most audiences. I'm kind of coming off more like the reluctant hero of like the ah shucks, like I made a potato gun. I'm from Boise, Idaho. I don't even know what I'm doing. Like <laughs> that builds connection a lot faster uh, with the majority of people um, is that like, yeah, the reluctant hero. Um, but you also notice like, again, it's situational. Funnel Hacking Live, like I don't come in as a reluctant hero at Funnel Hacking Live. I have to come in as a different identity type um, at Funnel Hacking Live. And so my stories that I lead with are different there. You know, so it's just knowing the audience, knowing where you're going, and then using the the tool and the story that we have that's gonna that's gonna build rapport with the most amount of people in, in the situation you're in. Yeah, uh, and I have I have a couple specific questions, but before I get to those uh, uh, on stories, I want to touch on that right there, the attractive character piece. Right, one of the big objections that I hear from people and that I have to handle and educate around when it comes to storytelling is people come in and they're like, "Well, Josh, I don't have a rags to riches story. Right, I am not a leader." Right. And so, you know, one of my uh, actually, you may, you may know her, uh, Andrea Beefus. I'm not sure if you know her or not. Um, anyway, so she's good friends with Catherine ever. She's one of my yeah. students. And like she like came in and she's like, well, Josh, like I teach moms how to like do this thing. And we're like amazing at it. But the, the problem is like I'm not a mom. Right. Mm. So like how do I come in and be like, yeah, this is how you like do dinner time with your kids and have this household or whatever. Right. And I'm like, well, that's because you're not the leader in that you know scenario. And like when I have to go through and like explain that, like then it starts to make sense. But like talk to people, like how do you decide well, what are the different attractive characters? People called this. <laughs> but what are the different attractive characters? And uh, actually, I think it's dot com secrets where you actually dive into that further. Mm -hmm. um, but like what are those? And and how do you de determine like what you're gonna like which ones you're gonna decide for you? Yeah, great question. And you think about 
Um, our goal as marketers is not always to have, like, I have the perfect story, but it's to find the perfect story, right? I look at uh, Robert Kiyosaki. He never had this rags riches story. His story is about his dad, like the rich dad and the poor dad, which a lot of people are like, don't think that's even a real thing. You know, maybe it's more of a concept versus actually humans, but he was trying to show the, this dynamic and he was coming in more like as a reporter, like I learned this from my rich dad and from my poor dad. And this is the, you know, it's so, like every story. It's like, it's not just necessarily like, I've got this perfect story. It's like, how do I, like, how do I craft a story? And you can do it. It can be your story. It can be somebody else's. I've got friends who are some of the biggest chiropractic training gurus in the world. And they're not chiropractors. I've seen the same thing, dental gurus who aren't dentists. Like it's, it doesn't matter. It's the story. Like, you know, like how do I, uh, like Jamie Amos, for example, is one of our inner circle members who, who's done amazing things for dentists, but he's not a dentist, right? But he's got his other skill set who happened to one time apply to dentist, dentistry and oh my gosh, it blew up. And so he's able to say like, because of what I learned over here, I can apply it over here. And this is the, you know, like mm -hmm. th there's the story now. Now I have a story I can tell. So as far as like the different characters, like in the, in the, in fact, I just did a training on this inner circle members and went like three levels deeper. So I got my actual handout from that from that training here, but the yeah. character identities are, there's, there, there's four core ones. There's other ones you can, you can go, but the, right, the right. core ones is like, number one is like the expert leader, right? Like I'm the expert, I'm the leader. Like, this is my thing. You're going to follow me. I'm going down this path. And like, um, again, when I stepped into the 10 X event, I was coming in as the expert leader. If you watch Tony Robbins, he comes in as the expert leader. Like this is where I have already blazed, you know, trailblazed the way I figured it out. I'm here to lead you on the thing. Like I am the expert. And like, that's, that's that person. That's that personality type. Now, again, these character identities, I think a lot of people are always like, well, I pick one. I got to do that for the rest of my life. It's like, no, they're, they're situational, like in different places you use them, right? But so the expert leader is one. And so if you have a story where like, I was the expert or the leader. This is what I did. Like there's, there can be a storyline tied to that, to that, um, that identity type. Okay. The second one is the second identity type I have here is called the adventurer or the crusader. This is not so much like I am the, the leader. I'm going to go do this thing. The adventure crusader is more like I'm on a discovery mission, right? I'm trying to figure things out. Like your original podcast, I would say, is definitely that. Like you were this adventure crusader. Like I'm trying to th think different and find people who are and like let me interview them and figure these things out. And like and you're going on these things, right? Um, and so like right now with me buying all these old books, for example, like um, I'm coming out with my first personal development book. I'm also coming out with um, a whole personal development site and brand and probably a podcast and a million things. And that one, I'm definitely the adventure crusader. Like I'm going through and I'm discovering, I'm going through all the archives and find this book and this book. And like, oh my gosh, I found this book from 1850s. It was the very first dude ever in the history of all time to write about personal development. Here's his book. Here's the story. And like on page 82, like I discovered this thing and I'm bringing it back to you. Right. So it's that, mm. it's like that meant like that thing where I'm, I'm, I found something, I found this secret thing and I'm bringing it back to you because I was on these adventures trying to discover stuff in my own journey. And this is what I discovered along the way. Let me bring it back and, and share it with you. So one, you're trailblazing, one, you're discovering and bringing back. And then number three is the reporter slash evangelist. This is where, you know, you're interviewing people, you're discovering things, or you become the super fan. Like, for example, if you look at, I just bought Dan Kennedy's company. And in Dan Kenny's company, I've seen everyone in the past who's tried to purchase this come in as an expert leader. And it's like, and they're trying to trump Dan and it causes all these things. And like, I'm like, no, 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 like Dan's the, Dan's the expert leader in this business. I'm coming in as the evangelist. Like I'm the biggest Dan Kennedy fan in the history of all time. Like I love Dan. Like he's the greatest thing ever. So like in my, my stories and everything in that brand, I'm the reporter evangelist right? Like I'm never trying to trump Dan because I don't want to, cause he's Dan. And like, I've had people, it's been actually really interesting. I've had dozens of people message me on Instagram. Like, um, you're actually a better teacher than Dan. Like you make this more clear. Like you shouldn't be like bowing down to him. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like this is the character identity I have to have for that company to blow up. And I love Dan. And I respect him. Like he, he is the expert leader. I am the evangelist, but I don't have Dan out there leading as the expert leader anymore. 
right? Because just because he doesn't own the company, he's on contract right. to write and do certain things, and he does those things amazing. But like the voice that's going to be pushing that thing forward is me coming yep. in as the evangelist to push that forward, right? So, what are your stories yeah. as the evangelist or the reporter, like that you can use um, as a course as a master story? And then the last one is the reluctant hero, and this is me and my potato gun story, right? like. Like, I don't know, I just figured this thing out and it worked. And I was like so excited. I got to tell other people about it, but like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm awkward. Like, I don't know how to talk. Like, you know, in fact, it's funny. I used to listen to my early presentations and I don't did, I didn't do this consciously, but like every time, like I would start, cause I don't have like, I don't feel like I have a Boise, Idaho accent, but I would tell a potato gun story. And like, literally I started talking like in this weird, like Boise, Idaho, like, like I'm an Idaho boy who's dumb as I would tell this story. I'm like, how am I? Like, it was just a weird thing that I didn't do consciously. But like every time I noticed, I'm like, I talk differently when I start telling that story, but That's so funny. it's me coming in as a reluctant hero. Just like, I didn't, I didn't go try to become a marketing guru. I was building, I was trying to make money for my wife and I, and like, I started making a potato gun and it worked for a little bit, then it failed. And I started to figure out this thing called funnels. And it was so cool. And it started working for me. And then I did it for another business, another business. And people kept asking me, I was like, well, I got to help. Like, this is what I'm doing. I started sharing it. And like, they were so excited and like, but I don't feel comfortable here. Like I, you know, I never wanted to be the expert, but I'm here today because I figured out this cool thing I got to share with you. And so those are the character identity. If you break it down, it's like number one is the expert slash leader. Number two is the adventurer slash crusader. Number three is the reporter slash evangelist. And number four is the reluctant hero. And so each master story that I tell in different situations, I'm plugging into different character identities. And so, yeah, hopefully that helps because I think, again, yeah. I'll be like, well, I signed up as a reluctant hero, so I'll be there the rest of my life. It's like, no, if I show up to Funnel Hacking Live as a reluctant hero, everyone's leaving because I don't have enough certainty to drive that, that audience and that crowd for four days. I have to come in in that situation as the expert leader and vice versa. Yeah. And it's super interesting too, because like, I think some people they're like, wait, if I switch, then like, I'm just a marketer. Then at that point, I'm not being honest. Like I can't sometimes be a leader. Then sometimes be a rock and hero or whatever. And it's like, but, but this situation, Actually, I'm gonna ask you, how would you handle that objection of like, I can't be the same person. I can't be different people all, this, all the different times. We think about it, it's different. It's different. Um, it's the timeline that somebody's bumping into you initially, right? If someone's first coming into my world and they bump into click funnels and stuff like that, and if I come in like, whoa, like the expert leader, um, that may work for some audience. Like you get for 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 uh, for Grant's audience, it worked really well. But for most people, when they first come in, I want them to know the potato gun story because this is like where I was at in the journey, and this is where like I'm meeting them mm -hmm. where they're at, right? Like if I come in as like, yeah, I was trying to, I, I VC back companies and like. You know, we built funnels because, like, that's the story I told at 10x, right? Like, like if Infusionsoft got this much money, these guys, I came in instead, and I came in and, like, the mom who I'm trying to get to become a funnel hacker and like to build a funnel is not going to connect with the story about how how funnels outsold, you know, VCs and all these kind of things, right? That's not going to like. There's no connection yeah. there. Like the story yeah. I got to tell her is me as the reluctant hero. Of, like this is because it's true. It's it's not like I'm right. not being congruent. It's true at a time in my life, but that's the time life that they're bumping into me. Like I gotta I gotta meet them where they're at. And bring them along the way, right? Same thing. Like it's yeah. true. Like I am in the biggest Dan Kennedy evangelist on the planet. It's not disingenuous. It's not not true. It is very true. And so I'm just leaning into that as I'm, you know, if you look at the sales video for how we launched, like I'm leaning into like he was my guru. He's who I learned from. Like and these are the things we're bringing back from the dead because like you know because I'm able to yeah. to, to do this. And so it's not like you're fake. It's just meeting people where they're at with a story. That telling a different story. It makes yeah. Sense for them. Telling a different part of your own journey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, side note, I know you know how you bought Dan Kennedy's company and you're geeking out about it or whatever? Yeah. You are literally, I don't care how old you get, I don't care whatever, you're not allowed to sell the Seekers Trilogy to anybody else but me if you ever sell that. All right? <laughs> I'm hoping like, that someday somebody buys my, in fact, it's funny, I have this idea, because you know Elon, um, oh, actually, so, I don't know, 
Elon like open sourced his his intellectual property, right? Which is why he's yeah. the richest man in the world. So it's interesting because right now the reason why I'm buying all these old books between 1850s and 1950s is because most of those books are in the public domain, which means I can republish them, I can do things with them, like I can extend these messages. Where things like in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, like are copyrighted and I can't. Therefore, I'm not able to bring those things back from the dead unless I go and and negotiate a copyright. So my secret evil motivation is to build this whole like life work and before I die is to somehow figure out how like put it in the public domain like everything I've worked on you guys can all take it and run with it because I want someone like me 200 years from now on eBay buying my old crap like and like trying to sell it republish it and like building on it because like that's how things are continuing to grow like I'm able to build off Napoleon Hill originally everyone here knows who Napoleon Hill is because most of his products most of what he wrote is in the public domain so tons of other people can build upon it and grow upon it versus other people who like the copyrights keep them from growing so they become like their legacy dies, which is kind of fascinating. So yes, I would love for you to take on my legacy when I die. But hopefully we're both dying about the same age because like, you know, you're not that much younger than me. Or I mean, I'm, I'm, tw- I'm 28. How old are you? Yeah, I'm way older. But like I eat so okay. healthy. I'm, well, I'm not 28 yet. By the time this episode drops, I'll be 20. My birthday's Tuesday, February 1st. Oh so, man, congrats. Uh, I'll be 28 years old. So oh, I'm not, I guess I'm not that much. Uh, I'll be 42 in March. So there you go. <laughs> All right. So a 14 year gap. That's not, that's not terrible. I do think I'll probably outlive you, though. So, <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm going to live forever, but we'll see. <laughs> I don't want to live forever, though. So if you're going to live forever, then I'll, I'm, I'm happy with dying. If there's one thing, and complete side note, but if there's one thing that uh, my brother's death taught me was it completely, it completely, completely changed my perspective of death. Like, mm-hmm. totally, completely shifted, right? Especially someone that's that close to you and, like, you know, things of that. And so, like, not I'm in no way suicidal, depressed, or unhappy in any way with my life, people. But like, I can't wait to die. Right? Like, I'm ready for what comes next. So, okay, sure. I'm gonna share. I don't know if I share this to you. This is like, this got me so excited about just all things. And I obviously am a believer. I believe in life after death. I like, but when I bought all, I bought all this Napoleon Hill stuff. And one thing I bought, I acquired was like 250 pages of him hand typed, him typing things on his his typewriter that never got published. Right? So like. His hand paper and like his notes on ah, it. So cool. So cool. So one of the things I found in this in this archive was this thing he wrote out. It was called um, My Interview with Thomas Edison after he passed away. And it's so cool. So he like he's he talks about it. I sat on a typewriter and he's like, I felt this presence of Thomas Edison. So I started typing him a question, like ask him a question. All of a sudden he's like, I got these answers. So I typed it out the answers as fast as I could, like stream of thought. And so it's QA with Thomas Edison after he passed away. Which is crazy and like whatever. But one of the things he said, he asked Thomas Edison, he's like, so are you dead? Or like, what, like what's happening? He's like, he's like, my physical body's dead. But he's like, my intelligence is still alive. And he's like, I'm still doing my work. He's like, and right now I'm trying to find other people who have physical bodies who I can inspire to carry on the projects I was working on during this life. Now, mm-hmm. again, I don't know if that's true or not true or whatever. I believe it is. But right. like, for me, it's like fascinating because as, as I'm buying these books, like I'm feeling inspired by Napoleon Hill and these people and like, and it's like, how cool is that? They're coming here and they're like, they're like trying to like, hey, Gabe Russell is like moving forward with my work. Like, let me give my Disney inspiration and things to be able to continue this thing on that I had. And I'm hoping that somebody when I'm dead, I'm going to find young entrepreneurs who have some of these things that we've been publishing and are like excited. Like, how can I inspire mm. them? Like, because my work isn't going to end. Like I have, I'm on a mission. I believe that from God. And like, and we've got this finite window of time and then soon I'm going to be dead. And then like, but if I can continue to like, to push thoughts and ideas in people's heads, like that is the most exciting thing in the world to me. And I'm hoping that like, I'm open enough that like these people that I'm studying, that I'm learning from can inspire me to like, to like add on and figure out the next piece of what they're trying to figure out because that gets me fired up. First off about why, like, as I'm learning things from people who have passed on, number one, and number two is like, when I get to pass on, like that gets me, gives me hope and faith and like this amazing, like 
timeline of events that are going to happen after I'm gone. So anyway, who knows? Gosh, that's so exciting. I fr- like, it's funny. I think one of the, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about me, and I'm going to bring this back full circle to what we just talked about there, is that like people see me as an entrepreneur and they think that my number one motivating factor is, is money. Like is, is that's the driving factor. And like, not that that's bad, right? Like I know a lot of people that that is their motivating factor or whatever, but like for me, like I can't stress this enough. It's just not right. Mm -hmm. And for me being, being smart, the podcast, right? Being smart, (laughs) but being able to study and to learn and to understand and to like become the, the, the very best that I possibly can and to understand how the world works, like, and have the freedom to be able to do that how I see best fit to do that. Like, that's what drives me, right? Like that is what, like, that is why I build the business. And like, there are so many times when I don't do things, like when I, like I could make tons more money if I do this or like focus on this, but I'm like, no, I'd rather literally go and check out for a weekend and just go read. And whether that's the Bible or whether that's psycho-cybernetics or this, this, because one of the things that I learned very early on, and I don't remember who taught me this. I don't remember when I had this epiphany, but like, I know like, there was a, a before this belief and there was an after this belief, right? And the before this belief was money is really, really hard to get and it takes a really long time, mm-hmm. right? And then the after belief was if you create something worthy of money, you will never, ever lack finding money, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, was, and there was a, there's this shift, right? Where it was like all around, I look at all these different ideas and you know, obviously right now we're living in the most distorted time of money when it comes to like the stock market and printing money and the Fed and inflation. It's just like ridiculous, right? But like there's so much money, there's so much wealth, there's so much abundance. And I'll never forget, I'm actually gonna go back to the one of the things that you told me. You talk about experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Uh I'm sure you remember this. I just a couple of years ago I made a post on Facebook and I was like, hey, I need fifty thousand dollars. I've got this idea, blah, 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 blah. Right. And like you comment on it and you're like, well just pitch me the idea. I'll probably just give you the 50 grand. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember boxing you and I was like, hey, so like how do you want me to pitch this to you? Right? Like, I'm like, you know, and one of the things that you said there was, oh, I don't really care. I just want it to be a really good story. Right. Like that was, that was all the thing that you gave me is like, as long as it's a really good story. And it was like at that moment, like so many things clicked in my mind of, well, look at Elon Musk. Elon Musk tells just a really, really good story. Like look and look at what he's done. Joe Rogan, really, really good story. Tom Brady hits a really, really good story. Right. And like all of a sudden it started, I started to like have the shift of, okay, listen, like Going after money for the sake of going after money is fine. There's nothing inherently wrong about that, I don't think, right? Like, that's how you keep score and like this. But like for me, like when I think about my legacy, when I think about how I want to be remembered, when I think about what matters to me in life, like if I could have $10 billion and like not get to do anything I love to do in life, not get to read books, not get to study, become smart, like that'd be miserable and depressing, right? Mm. But like for me, if I had a million dollars or $5 million or whatever that a much smaller amount is, but it allows me to kind of like go out there and like be smart and learn and educate, like, that is what drives me. Like that is what allows me to like become fulfilled. That's why I love the podcast. Cause I get to talk to all these super smart people. And it's like these shortcuts, right? Does that make sense? hundred percent. In fact, I think this for everyone listening, this would be a really good exercise for everyone to understand themselves better. So I think everybody should take the disc profile, but make sure when you take it, there's an upgraded version that gives you your values. So disc is D I S E, but then the values show you like what you actually value. And it's fascinating. Like Brad and Ryan thought that they're, you know, they're your money dudes, right? They're my money dudes too. Like we all thought that they were, their highest value was going to be uh, ROI, which is, you know, money, but their highest one was, was freedom. My guess is for you is your number one is probably um, theoretical, which is like, you want to learn stuff. And your number two is probably freedom, which is fascinating. For me, my number one is ROI, which, which doesn't necessarily mean money. It means I need to see the return on investment in the situation, yep. right? That's why I hated school. I could not see the return on investment. So I just struggled. Conversations struggle. If it's, if it's like, 
if it's small talk, I'm like, I don't understand. Like, what's the ROI on this? Like, I freak out. Where you're like, I'm going to fight a voice and it's been four hours talking about the shrug. I'm like, I see a huge ROI on that situation, right? Um, and so, like, ROI is number one. And then um, uh, aesthetics is number two for me, which is like, I have to have things that have to look good, right? Like, that's why I spend so much money in design and like making sure things look pretty because, like, those are my drivers. And so, mm. I think everyone, if, it, like, it's fascinating when you start understanding because I'm like, oh, now I understand myself. And there's like, I don't know, there's like 10 different values. But if you look at those, you start understanding yourself better. Because again, a lot of people think that me or you might be, you know, um, all about it, but the money, but it's like not that like money is just like a part of it. But for you, it's again, it's the learning and the freedom for me. It's the, the ROI of my time. And then that has to look, something that looks beautiful and like looks, I can show and I can experience, I can, you know, it's just fascinating when you start yeah. really realizing that because then you can lean into it. Because some people are sitting here trying to be entrepreneurs and they're not, ROI is not their number one driving point. They're just whatever, like whatever their thing is, their freedom maybe is their thing. They can't figure out why they can't have success. It's like. It's because you only want freedom. You don't actually want, you think you want money, but you don't. Like, that's not the thing you actually value. And you're chasing this thing you don't value, which is why you, it's hard to get up in the morning and stay up late at night because you don't actually value that. You start realizing, like, no, I value freedom. Or I value, um, you know, whatever your, your value is. Then it's like, okay, now let me lean into that as I start pursuing my business. Now it's like everything starts, un, like, starts clicking better in your head. And it's like, now it's easy because, like, I'm actually working hard towards the thing that, that um, like, for me, for example, the reason why, like, I'm spending so much time right now in the printed written word, right? Like back here, those can see the video. This is the Dan Kennedy Russell runs the newsletters. Like I did, I hope, let me grab it. So right now I'm publishing two newsletters a month, the no BS and behind the scenes or the no BS newsletter. And then, yes, you got them right there too. So if you look at this, this is, this is um, what almost 50 pages that I'm publishing every single month. And people are like, why are you writing a 50 page? It's like a mini book every single month. I'm like, because I see the ROI on it. Um, I look at like everything I've done from the beginning of time till now in my business. And, like there's an amazing thing. I do funnel hockey live. I do uh, courses. I do all these things. But the thing that's had the biggest ROI for me of all the things I've done has been the written word, right? Mm. Not the audio word, not the video word. Like funnel hockey wow. live happens, it ends, and then it it disappears. My books are still here. Like I, I see the ROI on the written word. I look at right now I'm buying Napoleon Hill books from 150 years ago. Like, like he wrote that once. It's still here today. His courses he did in the 60s and 70s, the audio courses have disappeared, right? Like I have so much obsession with the written word now because in the written word for me is the highest, highest ROI of anything I can be doing because I think in 200 years from now, it's still going to be here. And some kid on eBay like me is going to be buying like the first edition, no BS newsletter from Russell Brunson took it over. And like, and so for me, I'm doubling down, I'm spending so much time in written word right now because, um, because the ROI for me. And so now like I can stay up all night writing a newsletter. I can stay up all night because I see that for me, the ROI is like, it'll be here for forever. Therefore, I can do this. I can write another book. And now I'm like, in my head, like I'm writing a new book, a, a new published book every two years for the rest of my life until I die. Um, but on top of that, everything I'm doing with Dan, Dan Kennedy work, I'm taking all Dan Kennedy's audio stuff and his video stuff, which is literally almost dried up on the vine. And I'm converting them all into physical, hardbound, big books. Like you will notice the written word for me over the next, you know, next year, but the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years is what I'm focusing on because the ROI is so wow. big. Because I, I get that now. So it's like for you, it's like figuring out what is the thing that values the most and then doubling yeah. down. And now it's like I can spend, you know, I sit at three in the morning writing a newsletter because I know it'll be around in 200 years from now. Therefore, I'm excited. That's I'm not so tired. interesting. That's so interesting. And it come, uh, brings me back to, um, well, Jordan Peterson, right? And I was listening to I'm, Jordan Peterson is like one of the people I'm geeking out on this year, right? Awesome. Uh, just because he's got like, oh my gosh, like his brain is like, how? But one of the things that he said is one of the biggest uh, disservices that we do to children, to young adults, things like that, is we don't teach them how to write and educate them on why they're writing. 
right? Mm -hmm. And he said, if you want to learn how to think, learn how to write. He said, because the process of writing is the process of thinking. He's like, and in our heads, when we just think about things, it can get very blurry and it can be very like confusing. But he's like, when you are forced to take those words out of your head and actually have to write them down, he's like, that's the process of thinking. And so he encourages everyone. He's like, if you want to be successful in life, he's like, learn to write, learn to think in that order. Cause he's like, by definition, you will learn to write. You will learn to think if you learn to write and then you will go out and have success. And so it's interesting that you say that because like writing is that thing that just like, yeah. And I, and I hate it. Just so everyone's fully aware. Like, well, you like writing Russell. I hate writing. Like, so I'm just putting that out there. Like, this is not because I like it. It's because the ROI, because I see the, the tangible return on investment for me. Therefore I will write, even though of all things I do, writing is the most painful and the hardest and the thing I, like, I probably hate the most, but it's the highest ROI activity I have. Therefore I will do it. So, so speaking about our ROI activities, I want to bring this back to storytelling. Cause I have a couple specific questions on this specifically, but like, Obviously, storytelling has to be one of the highest ROI skills that you've learned, yeah? For sure. Okay. Yeah. So, like, if you had to convince somebody in, like, one or two sentences or, like, in a short 30 seconds, right? Like, what is, like, what is the importance of storytelling? Why storytelling versus anything else? Yeah. So, if you think about this, um, I, I talk, I say this a lot. And I, 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 I don't know if people perceive it the way that I perceive it. Hopefully, they do. But, like... I always talk about like, I feel like every single person on this planet has been given a calling and you've been called to serve a group of people, right? And so one of our jobs as entrepreneurs, for sure, but I think everybody has this, is we have to figure out who are our people and then we have to congregate. We have to, we have to, we have to gather them together, right? We are gatherers. Um, and again, most people in life will never do this. I think it's, it comes down to the fear versus faith. They get called. And then, you know, in the hero's journey, like every time there's a call, the, like the first, the second step after the call to adventure is the refusal of the call. So most people, they hear the call, fear and faith, they take fear and then they don't do anything. So that's why most of the world isn't doing this, right? Because they, they follow fear. But those of us who hear the call and we move forward with faith, say, okay, I'm going to do this thing, right? Our brains try to refuse the call and they're like, no, I'm going to do it. And we move forward with faith. We move forward and it's like, okay, now I've been called to serve a group of people. Now the first, the first step now is the people aren't there, right? Like when I first started, like I'm going to start. Um, teaching people marketing. I love, I'm obsessed with funnels. Like I showed, I walked in in the room and there was nobody there. Um, I told this story last weekend, like my very first time I wanted to teach this stuff. Um, I literally, I had gone to a, a, my Dan Kennedy mastermind. So I was like learning this stuff. And so I went back home and I bought radio ads in Boise, Idaho. I remember going to the radio station, recording my voice. Hey, my name is Russell Brunson. I graduated from Boise state and I know how to start an online business. You should come to a seminar down at the holiday and call one, eight, you know, whatever. And like I made a radio ad and we ran it on radio all over Boise. And from that, I got like a couple hundred people to call in and say they're going to come to the Holiday Inn uh, to come to me doing my little presentation. So then like, you know, fast forward 30 days later, the event was supposed to happen. We had 100 people RSVP'd. Um, I get in the room and I show up and there's two people in the room. Only two of the 100 actually showed up. And I was like, oh, crap. But I was like, well, there's two people. So I started talking and I started teaching and started sharing my stories about it, right? And for most people, they would have stopped at that point because they're like, oh, well, nobody showed up. This is the failure, Right. But I was like, no, like I've been called, like I feel this, like I'm excited, like this is my passion. And so I did it again and again and again. And 18 years later now, we get 5,000 people to show up at Funnel Hacking Live, right? So you're called to serve, there's the people, but they're not congregated yet. Your job is to gather them. And how do we gather them? We gather them by telling them a story. That's it, right? If you're in a room, like how did Christ start gathering his people? Like you look at this, he started gathering his disciples and then he got them and he started giving, he started telling stories. 
right? You start telling stories and then people started hearing the stories. They saw the miracles and they started bringing more people, more people, and people start coming. So the way that we gather people is by telling the story, right? No one's getting gathered by, let me teach you the doctrine. Let me teach you this, the framework. They, the framework does not gather people. The story gathers people, gives them interest, gives them desire, and then we can give them the framework. But the story is what gets people's interest, desire, you know, story mm. creates desire, right? Like we have to figure out like, like nobody came into my world. The story, the story creates desire. Yes. Because nobody came into my world with a desire for funnels, right? Like funnels, that sounds dorky. Like nobody cared. But I told a story that took, that took this thing that I wanted to share with you, the framework, the idea, the concept, the principle I want to share with you, which is funnels. And I told a story which took that desire and it cranked up that desire. And the more I tell a story, the more I create desire. I create more and more desire. And then this entire market we built came out of me telling enough stories. There's enough desire in the market that now it's grown. It's grown. Now, other people had stories and they tell their stories and like and it, it, it starts multiplying like rabbits, right? But it starts with me figuring out who am I called to serve and then what's the story I can create to start gathering these people. And then I got to tell them story after story to create that desire, to increase the desire mm. over and over and over again. And that's the principle. So yes, your story is important. Yeah, it's the key. Outside of you, outside of you, like hearing the calling, having the refusal to call, and moving forward in faith, even though you're not qualified, you're not ready, you're not prepared, because that's what has to happen, right? God doesn't call call the qualified; He qualifies the call. So you've been called, you're not qualified, you're not prepared yet, but it's us stepping forward and saying, "Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to move forward in faith, even though it's scary and all the fear that happens." And it's like, "Hey, now, now I know I'm called to serve a group of people. Where are they at? Oh crap, they're not already sitting around somewhere. Okay." What's the story I got to start gathering these people, right? And we're gatherers. And then you gather them. And now you gather them. Now you can serve them. Now you can change their life. And all those things happen. But story is what gathers. Story is what amplifies desire. Story is what, what, what makes the whole thing move in a movement, right? We talk about movements all the time. What's the movement? Well, the story is what gets people to move. They don't move because of the framework. They don't move because of the technology. They don't move because of any of those things. They move because of the story. Mm. We got to get good at I'm, telling stories. We got to get real good at telling stories. Yeah. That that skill set changed my life. Uh, out of I told someone that they're like, "What's the number one skill set that changed your life, man?" Like expecting sales or persuasion. I'm like storytelling. Yeah, storytelling. Because at, at, like you have that thing of like, "What's one funnel away?" I'm like, "You got one story to change your life. Yeah, one story will change your life, right?" It doesn't matter. And like that could be the story about your relationship. That could be the story about your business. That could be the story about your offer. That could be the story about your brand. Like it doesn't matter. Like it's literally like what's the story that you have to tell? And like if you just write the right the right story, and that's how you trick your brain, trick reprogram your brain. It all comes down to the story. Yeah. Uh, we think about that. I know. Think about yeah. real quick. Like um, all the things we struggle. And like you watch Tony Robbins this all the time. Like like when he he's doing interventions with people. He he asks them like, what's the story? Here's the story they're telling. He's like, hey, that story is the thing that's holding you back, right? And so he's he's doing it from like not from a selling standpoint, from like. I want to change my life. Like, I want to quit smoking. I want to like, I want to, I want to find my dream wife. I want to like all the things that all comes down to the story in our head, right? The story, if we have a negative story, it keeps us in these loops. We have, so like learning how to like, like, yeah, you said not tricking yourself, but to tell a different story is going to change your destiny. Right. And so it's, it's also like, we got to start learning how to tell ourselves a story. Cause like I used to tell myself a story, like yep. I can't speak on stage. I'm awkward. I'm nervous. I'm introvert, like all these kind of things. And that kept me down and, and safe and all those kind of things. But like, I had to tell a different story. Like the story I had to tell myself was I was I'm called. I had to figure this yep. out. Like when I tell the story differently, it changes the direction of where we're moving. So it's, it's happening at so many levels from like you moving yourself, you getting yourself the things you want, you guiding a group of people. Like, like all those stories are, are so key and you tell the wrong story. It can affect your, your, your direction and your outcome for yourself personally, but also for the, for the movement you're trying to create. A hundred percent. And one of the things that I always tell my students is I'm like, one of the number one rules about storytelling is you have to believe the story you're telling. Yeah. 
right? Like you have to, because if you do not believe the story you're telling, nobody else is going to either, right? Because like, then you're going to start finding all the objections in your head around why the story is wrong. And then you're not going to say the things you know you need to say. And like, like the number one rule of storytelling is like, you've got to believe the story that you're telling, yeah. right? And that comes back to, you know, being ethical and being, you totally know, honest story, with everything yeah. that you're doing, right? Because that's super, super important because storytelling is, you know, can be very negative if you use it unethically, right? I'm curious, and I know the answer to this, but I want everybody to hear this. What percentage of funnels uses stories <laughs> like the ones that actually work or <laughs> yes out of, out, russell let me rephrase the question russell out of every funnel that you personally build how many of them use stories a hundred percent a hundred percent of them it's that important yeah so going along with that because like it's interesting when i first and i think a lot of entrepreneurs that come into your world a lot of funnel hackers right which by the way you lucked out man my shirt for my show has not come in yet oh. and so I was like, yes, episode one, one. I get what? Funnel Hacker branding. That's right. You get, funnel, you get Funnel Hacker advertising, episode number one of the show, become Funnel Hacker. But I think a lot of Funnel Hackers, like, so I know for me, and my story of coming into your world is actually super interesting, right? Because mm -hmm. I came in probably a little bit different than a lot of people come into it, which is I came in and I already had a ton of followers on Instagram that we were managing, right? Not me personally, but like we had so much traffic, which is like the one problem that like most people have. We did not have that problem. And I'll, do you remember me Snapchatting you? I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. Right, and I send you a Snapchat, and I'm like, "Hey, I want you to build a funnel for me, right?" And you're like, "No, I just do a webinar funnel. Like, you can't hire me. I'm like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I'm like still hitting myself. I'm like, ah. But anyway, so <laughs> what? But what's interesting is that I read .com. My business partner was actually the one that showed me .com secrets, mm -hmm. right? And I read .com secrets or whatever, and like in my head, funnels are landing pages. Mm -hmm. They are steps inside of the funnel. And if I'm going to build a funnel, like the more steps I have the better my funnel is going to be because I'm like, then there's more steps and there's more stuff people consume. People more buy more stuff, right? <laughs> and it was like, right, more complicated. And it was like, so in my head, it was like, in order for me to build a funnel, right? Like I had to go through and I had to have a landing page software where I could go through and do all of these different steps, right? And it's always very interesting now when people are like, you know, oh, well, like funnels work great for Russell or for like online or I'm like, there's like three things that I'm certain of in life. One of them is that Jesus loves me. And another one is that funnels work, right? Like, <laughs> like I just, I, I, right? <laughs> right, absolute certainty. But, but that came from, I did not understand that until this book, yeah. right? You came out, you wrote this book and the purpose of the book was to solve that problem. 100%, that is, was like the origin story. So like the dot-com secrets book I wrote, cause I was like, everyone needs, and I talk about story in the dot-com secrets book, but I think people missed it. They're like, they were, um, yeah, they uh, upsell these funnels. And they're like, yeah. And everyone's like obsessed. Like, what's the funnel? What's the funnel? I'm like, the funnel doesn't matter that much. Like, which funnel, right? Because like the webinar right. funnel, uh, tripwire funnel, like there's a million different funnel types, right? Like the type doesn't matter. It's the story inside of it. And so, yeah, as a whole, I was so frustrated with our industry that I was just like, they're missing the most important part, which is how do you tell the story? How do you position yourself? How do you, like all the, the copywriting, if you want to call it. Um, but like that stuff is what they're missing. That's why the whole second book came like, okay, you guys are missing the point. Like, like it's not just the pages or the structure. Those things are important, but the most important thing are the words on the page, the video, the story, like the reasoning behind all the stuff. Like that's what gets people to actually move and buy and pull their credit card out. It's not just the, the, the layout of the pages, right? It's the art and the science. Right. Like you're building a house. It's like the framework. Dotcom is the framework of the house. Expert Secrets is like, okay, what are we putting on the walls? Like what color is this going to go? Like how do we, like it's the tapestry. It's the things like that. Whereas like you think about it, like, like, honestly, I think in the, the updated dot com secrets book, I share like 10 funnels. Like, that's pretty much all. Like, there's not that much more. Like, they, there's 10 funnels, right? And they, like, everyone who's got a webinar funnel that's working, they all structurally look identical. So it's not like, what funnel? Like, how does the funnel work? Like, I don't know, like, it's these four pages. Like, but the thing that makes it work or not work is 
the art on top of it. Like, how do you they tell the story in a way to get someone to buy? Like, th- that's the that's the key. And so, yeah, that's why book number two had to be written, and and I'm glad I wrote it. But it was a lot of work. Yeah. Okay. But so, but once I grasped this, mm-hmm. my my perspective shifted because all of a sudden, and like, you know, I love ClickFunnels, Russell. I'm not going anywhere, right? But all of a sudden, I realized. I didn't need landing pages to build a funnel, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so in my head, I went, oh my gosh, this works everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I can build a funnel in a podcast episode or on a podcast show. I can build it in person. I can build it online. I can build it in content. I can build it this. And like all of a sudden, when my the lens came off of, hey, stop looking at design for a second. Stop looking at the funnel type for a second. Stop looking at the landing page. Like go find funnels in people's words. And I, I've told you this before, and I think I was on your show or whatever. Like some people have art, like they like painting. Some people have art, they like drawing. Some people have art, they like cars. Like, like my art is words, right? I love words. I love being able to rearrange words and tell stories with words and like making people believe or know and understand certain things with words, right? And so when I started looking at funnels through the lens of how do I find funnels with words, mm-hmm. everything changed. Because now, and like one of my favorite people to, and I'm going to preface this by saying, Please understand that don't go follow this person unless you have a very high tolerance for profanity. But like Alex Becker is one of the most fascinating people for me to watch, right? And like everything that he's doing with crypto or whatever, because I'm like, the way that that guy communicates his words on his funnels, I mean, like his funnels are the stupid, simplest funnel. It's like a page, a video, and a bunch of testimonials and a book your call button. I mean, like $20 million, right? It was ridiculous, right? But it was because the way that he told the story, the way that he communicated that all the way through, it was like that became the thing that sold product whatever it was and i'll never forget um brad gibb and actually can i tell you this story real quick i don't think i've actually told you this of like yeah. how i actually came up with the name master story mm. yeah so it's interesting this is uh so after my brother died we go around the world right and we're traveling or whatnot and um brad actually hits me up right and he's like we're trying to build this community and like everyone tells us you're the guy to go to blah blah blah, blah or stuff and the other right and so anyway we end up getting a client like they sign as a client or whatever and i'm over in the philippines and i've got my little hot spot like in the window like to get like service or whatever and i'm typing this and like i i call brad i was like brad like it's time to do like what, like to get the information i need from you and he's like cool like what do you need i was like i need a three-hour phone call and he's like what like i, I can't i'm not gonna give you a three hour like what like that's so long right uh-huh. and i'm like no no i need that because like i need to understand you like i need to understand like what i'm working with and he's like, well, like, okay, like, I'll give you the three hour call, but like, what are we, like, what's it, like, what are we doing on it? Like, what? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to figure out, like, what I'm going to say and, like, wh- how I'm going to position it. And, like, at the time, like, I'm struggling to figure this out. Words, yeah, he's like, okay, so, like, you need to, like, know my story or, like, you need to know, like, my background. I'm like, I need to know what's the master story that I'm going to tell. And I just wrote master story at the top of it. Now, at the time, I had no idea that's what I was going to call these things. What's, and so it's interesting is we have this three-hour call, and that became like a thing, right? And I do this three-hour call with Brad, and we write that. And that story that I wrote there it took about like three hours, and then I spent like 10 hours writing it, we, is the story that we implemented into their, um, uh, their community. And their community was doing – they were spending $20,000 a month on ads. They were making like $20,000 a month. They were break-even with ads before this. And then we came in. We wrote the master story. We did a five-day challenge implementing that master story. And in the first 90 days, they did $400,000. In the first year, they did a million dollars with no ads. Why? Because like that story worked, right? And so from then on out with every single client that I did, what did I do? I went and I was just like, okay, we just need to do this thing called the master story. We're gonna have the master story call. And that's what we would call each one of them. (laughs) And so I'm sitting there and now fast forward, once I figure out the Josh 40 effect and like where we're going, I'm trying to figure out what I'm gonna call this, right? Like, is that gonna be like, oh, like, do I teach like this framework here? Like, what's it gonna be called? And- Magic story, the super story. Right, (laughs) I'm literally just sitting down 
And I'm going through and I'm like, oh, I got to work on a master story today. And I like pull it up and I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's it. Like it's the master story. It's like, that's the story. It's like, what's the one story that you got to tell that to make someone actually go and believe that? So it's always fascinating to me. This book though, is the thing that like took funnels and made them not landing pages. Mm-hmm. A funnel became, what is the story? And then you take that story and you put it onto landing pages and now you have a funnel on the internet that tells a story. Yeah. And so anyway, that's kind of so like cool. a big thank you for the book. Dude, yeah. I, I want to, so the, the time I had that epiphany, that was similar, no, not the same, but similar. Um, I was probably a year into this business. This is back man, 18, 19 years ago. And I was in an event and I got to have a chance to hear John Carlton speak. If you guys know John Carlton, he's been like one of the most famous copywriters for, I don't know, for 40, 50 years, right? And he was telling the story about this ad. He got hired by these golfers to make a golfing ad. And so, you know, the, as a client, they're like showing the product, how it works and like all these things. And he's trying to like, trying to figure it out. And he struggled. I can't remember. The, I'm, I'm sure I messed the story up, but he couldn't figure out the story and, and how to write the copy for it. And they tried different versions. It didn't really work. And he kept going back and forth. And finally he was talking to the guy. And I feel like it was outside of the actual conversation, like the coaching, you know, the conversation pulled things out. I don't know if they're at a bar or something. And, and in the conversation, the guy was like, he tells the story. He's like, he's like the, the way that I learned how to golf this way is like, I was actually at a golfing range and there was this, this one legged golfer and he comes out and he like hops out there and he does this thing. And the way he has hit with one leg, it's different. Like the way the positioning and the things are happening. And, and John's like, wait, what? Tell me the story. And he starts going on this thing about this one legged golfer. He starts figuring things out. And, uh, and the guy tells him the story and John's just freaking out. He's like, this, like, this is it. This is the story. Like, this is the thing. Like, this is what we're looking for. And so he takes it, writes this ad, and if you Google it, you can find it. It's like, like amazing secrets to one-legged golfer and da-da-da. Because the guy had one leg, he had to do his positioning, balancing, and different or something. And so this guy's whole philosophy is based on like doing the way the one-legged golfer did, which made it go further. I don't know. I've never golfed, so I don't know. But um, that became the copy, and they launched this thing. And, and you know, as far as I know, the ad, the ad did like hundreds of millions of dollars in sales in the golfing market. Like some crazy number, right? But it came down to um, – digging out that story what was the actual story which is the hardest thing people to bring out especially as us as creators because we've been doing this for so long and it's our thing and we're passionate about it. like we're passionate about the the deliverables like here's here's the actual framework right and it takes sometimes an outside person looking at like like where was the thing you know it took me a long time before the potato gun story was the thing that i landed on and i saw people's eyes light up i'm like oh I'm going to tell that story again because people paid attention this time, right? And it's like, and you double down and you get better at telling it. But like, it's, 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 it takes a little bit to find that sometimes, especially if you're this mm. close to it, right? Yeah. And, and it's going back and like, remember like, what actually happened? Where did I figure this out? Like, I always tell people it's, it's how you, because some people tell their master story, like, like, well, I was born in 1980 in Provo, Utah. And they tell like their backstory. It's like, no, 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 not yeah. your backstory. It's, it's like the backstory about how you discovered this this framework like where like where were you at what was happening what was the experience like like what gave you I, again i call it the epiphany bridge sometimes like what was the, the gave you that epiphany like what was what was the state you were in and why and what was happening what were all things happening around you and when you discover that like that's the goal especially when you start learning how to tell a story too because my goal was stories to get people in the state right and so if i can tell a story in a way that gets people in the same state that i was in when i had the big epiphany when i discovered that thing like that's the that's the key. It's not just you rattling off like first out of this, like da, da, da. it's like no, like what were like what were you experiencing? And why were you experiencing? What were you in? Like what was the situation in the life you were in? Because it's probably a situation they're in right now as they're listening to the yeah. story and just painting that picture, right? Good authors do such a good job with their words of painting this picture where you feel like you're you're there and you're experiencing it. And that's what we had to do with our stories as well is is tell it in a way where people are experiencing it because then they'll be in the same state that you were in when you were actually experiencing it. And that way, when you 
try to give them the aha or the epiphany or whatever, they have the same epiphany that you had and then they're sold. Then they're going to go and, and follow you on whatever journey that they, they, you know, you want them to go on. But those are the keys to story. When you figure out the right story, man, it changes, it changes everything. Yeah. And so I have a follow-up question on that, but context of this is, so in my frameworks of you got secret one, secret two, secret three, right? In secret one, I teach people the framework of how to write a master story, right? And we still we go through the process of it and it's really cool. And then in secret two, like their big objection is, is like, I don't have well, a story. I don't, I don't have a good story or how do I pick what story to tell, right? Yeah. It's e freaking every single time. It's so funny. Like I've gotten the thing down on all my sales calls where I'm like, I'm going to get done with this. <laughs> and question. the next question, there's going to be two more questions. And the next one is this one. And it's every freaking time, right? Yep. And uh, my wife like has, she sits out in the other room usually, right? And so she'll go to yoga and she'll come back. And like the first 10 times she came in and she's like, man, you've been on a lot of phone calls or whatever, right? And I was like, yeah. And then like the next 10 times I did it, she walked in after one and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And like backs up, I'm like, I'm on the phone, right? And so I get out and she's like, well, you've just said the same thing 10 times. I thought I was listening to a recording, <laughs> right? And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's what it is. Anyway, so- I just heard a new but, webinar. Now we know the directions. Right, right. So anyway, so, um, which- February 1st, that's what we did. Um, anyway, so, um, but in that though, I, I go through and I explain to people in Secret 2, I'm like, in storytelling, there's an art and there's a science, right? And most people, they immediately want to go to the art, right? They immediately want to go and they be like, what story, like, what story do I tell and how I tell it and all these different things or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Before you have to go through and do any of that, we have to discover and figure out what these things that I call the master elements, right? Which are, what are the elements of the story that have to be the same regardless whether you tell for three hours, 30 minutes, 30 seconds, right? Like there's, there's elements inside of the story that never, ever change. And these are the science. This is the science side of it, right? And so there's five core ones that are, I, I believe are in every single story ever, right? Which are number one, there's always a, there's always a backstory, right? Mm -hmm. So context bring it up. Number two, there's always a desire. There's some place they're trying to get to. Number three, there's always a problem, something that's preventing you from getting to where you want to go. Number four, there's always a vehicle or a solution to get you that vehicle. And then number five, there's always an achievement, right? It's so like, those are the five and there's other ones in there, but like those are the five. What I tell people is, you start with those and you figure out, well, what was the, what's the backstory that I'm like the, the context that led me to this point was this. And then after you figure out those things, then you add the story. Then you find the story. Like you said, you don't you find the story, you create the story. You don't, it's not just any story, right? Mm -hmm. That allows for all five of those things to be told in the correct order. And once you have that, then like the story details of the actual story itself, I feel like don't really matter that much, right? As long as you hit on the core things that you're constantly trying to get people to leave, believe and come back to. That makes sense? Yep, definitely. So my question for you is like, I tell people one of the best ways to go out and like tell stories is number one, like first off, write a version of your story. And then number two is like, go out and like tell it to somebody else and get feedback. Like go tell it to other people. Like for you, like what's the, what's like one really good piece of advice or like one of the best pieces of advice? Like Russell, how to become good at start telling stories? Like you're amazing at it. Josh, you're amazing at it. Like how do I get good at it? Yeah. What'd you tell them? So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a wrestling example. So in wrestling, um, you go and you learn a lot of different moves, right? And I was I remember telling in high school I realized this like if I practice a move a hundred times until I hit it in a mat an actual match it wasn't like my move. If I hit it in an actual match, it's like oh I like in the stress of the moment mm -hmm. I hit it and it worked right. But for me to be able to hit it in a match, I've got to practice it a whole bunch of times ahead of time, right? So. Coach would teach you to move, or my dad would teach me to move. We go practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it. And then I knew that like, I got to do this in a match or else it won't be my move. It's just something I learned. So they do it in a match and I execute in a match is now my move and I can do it over and over and over again, right? And so then I'd go in the match, I hit it, and then it's like, okay, this is my move now. And now, now it would just subconsciously come to me when I was, would be in a flurry and all of a sudden, boom, it comes out. You're like, it just showed up. That's so crazy. So the same thing is true with stories, right? So I know that like, 
there's gonna be some stories that are that are crafted. I'm potato gun stories crafted. Other stories like I need them to show up when I need them, right? But I don't know when it's gonna be. It's gonna be subconsciously where all of a sudden like I'm talking to someone, I'm doing an intervention with somebody, and all of a sudden the thing pops up, right? For example, like I had no idea I was gonna tell you the story now about wrestling and how I did that, but I've told that story a couple other times. In fact, recently to wrestlers, help them understand like this is how the the practicing stuff works, right? So it just popped up subconsciously as we're talking. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna share this because it, it fits right here in the moment. But it comes from the practice first, right? So what happens for me is like. I experienced something, right? Like it could be whatever it is, right? Like for example, me talking about the ROI on the printed word, right? Um, the first time I had that epiphany, I was like, oh my gosh, like for me, the printed word is the ROI. Like, oh, that's a story. And so immediately what I did is I was driving the office and the very first time I did a podcast talking about the printed word and like, why it's so important. And it's the only thing that lasts beyond, like I told a story. And it's probably like the worst time I ever told it because it was the first time I told it. And then I get in the office, right? And I come in and I look around and I'm like, who's in the office? And like, Usually it's Dave because Dave's the most excited, but there's also like Kevin. There's a couple people in the office and like, I'll come like, oh my gosh, I had this epiphany, right? I had the epiphany that morning. I did a podcast on the drive-in. Now I'm telling it to Dave and I'm feeling reactions. If Dave's like, cool, that's awesome. I'm like, ah, okay. It's, it's a good story, but not a great story. If Dave's like, oh, oh, and he's yeah. out, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome, right? And then I had it again. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, a week later, I'm in a podcast with you and I say it again. And then Rachel Hall said me and her podcast and I shared it there. And like, and like, I just start sharing it in different places until it becomes like my own. And then like it just arises and shows up when it needs to show up. And so you notice like when I tell a, a story, it's not – it's especially like in a live situation, most people are going to see it live. It's not the first time. If I'm not liking live, any story I've told if I'm not liking live is not coming spur of the moment off the top of my head. Um, even the ones that come spur of the moment off the top of my head. It's something I've been practicing, 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 and all of a sudden it shows up in the moment when I need it. It's funny. I talked yeah. to Tony Robbins about this because I was like – I go out in an event and I have like a, a plan – and sometimes the plan follows through. T. Sometimes the plans go off the, the rail. He's like, I'm the same way. He's like, I have a – in fact, if you look at what Tony speaks, watch the Mexican Hockey Live. His team builds – has these huge pads of paper, and they write down his, his structure. He mind maps everything, so it's like bubbles and things like that. And they tape it literally to the ground in front of him. So as he's talking, he's looking down at his big mind map, and he's talking. And then he'll go on tangents and now he'll go off on, you know, he'll do the intervention. Like literally this year's Funnel Hacking Life, he had a three-hour presentation. He went for six hours because yeah, he just go off so these cool. tangents. And he's like, yeah. I'm going these tangents and God's showing up and these things are coming. And like, like it shows up when I need it. And then he, he watched him. He walks back on stage and he stands there and his team's in the back freaking out because he just went off on a two-hour tangent. So they're like rewriting his frameworks and you'll watch them. They run up on stage and they retape down a new version of, it, of like where he's got to go on the stage. And he'll see it, he'll talk it, and then it goes off on other tangents. And so he's updating wow. his framework in real time as he's doing the things. It's like I didn't realize it until after the first FHL he spoke. I walked in there. There's papers everywhere and stacks, papers, papers, the papers, the papers, all in the thing. I'm like, what in the world? Like, and I started watching him and noticed UPW does the same thing. Like you'll see, like you'll see his teams like updating things because he's going off these tangents. And so it's the same thing. Like anyway, I just went off on a really weird tangent, but yeah. Anyway, I think it's interesting. But for you guys, yeah. like the the moral of the story is it's practicing. It's like when you're like you get the story. It's like tell it to your spouse and then drive it. Like for me, my podcast is me driving my car. So I'm telling it this way. If it's, if you don't have a podcast yet, just click record on your phone and record yourself telling it. And then when you see one of your buddies at the office, whatever, tell them the story. And every time you tell it, you'll get a little better telling it. And you're going to see people's reactions. Some things you'll notice people are just like, oh, or they're like falling asleep. Other times they freak out. The part the time that people are falling asleep, I, I, I shift it. Um, and I try to tell the story better the next time, next time till like I've, till I've nailed it. Um, Dean Graciosi told the cool, I think I talked about some traffic secrets, but he told the cool story. I was at a, I was, um, in a mastermind group with him. We were out camping with a whole bunch of really cool people around a campfire. And he told this story about the way that, um, 
that um, comedians get really good. He's like, we see a comedian and they're on the Tonight Show and they're standing up there and they're doing their jokes. They're just nailing it joke after joke after joke. And, and he's like, we're like, man, that's the most amazing comedian of all time. He's like, what you don't understand is you rewind back five years. What happened is a comedian sat down for the first time. He wrote 10 jokes. He went to a, like a little comedy club. He told the 10 jokes and nine of the 10 jokes bombed, but one of them landed. So he takes that one joke, goes back to his house and he rewrites nine new jokes. Plus one he knows lands. Comes out next time, he leads the one that lands, boom, then he goes joke two, three, and goes net 10 new jokes. And from that, maybe one or two more land. So he takes the three now that have landed, goes back home, rewrites it, and does it back and forth. So he's got 10 jokes that he knows crushes it. And now he is prepared and ready. Yep. Same thing's true with us in our stories. We have to keep telling them, keep telling them, and like, oh, that one didn't land. That one didn't make any sense. I told that, but it was confusing. Uh, you know, and you just keep redoing it, redoing it until eventually you have your, your core stories that you're really good at, your master stories, yep. whatever you want to call them, that you can bring out whenever you need them. Where now I can go in a situation, someone's like, hey, Russell, I need you to do a presentation. And I'm like, okay, and like, do you need to prepare? I'm like, I've been preparing for 18 years now. Yeah. Um, no matter what question, for the most part, you tell me, I've got some story that's going to pop up when I need it because I've, I've done the work over and over and yeah. over again. And, and that's what all of us got to become good at doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That leads me to probably my favorite topic of all time when it comes to business and marketing, <laughs> which is publishing. Mm. And I want to talk a little bit about this because. Funnels are the things that changed your life. And don't get me wrong, they have changed my life a lot. But there is not a single thing on planet Earth, I don't think, outside of maybe the Bible, but like an action of me doing that has changed my life more than the art of publishing. I, for a while, I, there was nobody on the internet that published more content than I did. I mean, I, I did one to two live streams every day, right? And it was like weird if I didn't do, like, if I didn't do a live stream every single day, that was like super, super weird, right? Mm -hmm. I've done 500 episodes of the podcast at least, right? Uh, interviewed all these different people, whatever. Like publishing is like my way of thinking, right? It's like how I go, it's how I learn, it's how I document, it's how I keep track. It's like, I wanna be able to look back at my life and know exactly where I was. And people ask me all the time, they go, Josh, like, how are you? How are you able to be so controversial? How are you able to be so polarizing? How, like, don't you get afraid that people are gonna like disagree with you? I'm like, no, do you know why? Because there's not been a single piece of content that I've ever published where I wasn't 100% completely authentic to myself, mm -hmm. right? Like I was absolutely, like if I said it, I absolutely believed it at the time. That doesn't mean I was right. It means I actually believed it, right? And so you can actually see the progress of me going and changing and shifting my beliefs. And so many people are so terrified of that, right? Yeah. And that for me, I'm like, I want to be able to go. And when people criticize me, I'm going to be like, you might be right. And guess what? I have a track record of me be admitting that I was wrong. But like, you're not going to convince, like right now, this is what I believe, right? And so anyway, so like that thing, like I started on Instagram and then Instagram became Instagram stories, became Facebook groups, became Facebook lives, became the podcast, became like this and like interviews. And like that singular thing has changed my life more than anything else in the entire world. Yeah. You are the person that got me involved in that though. Like I started doing it beforehand. But like, I didn't realize that that was like what I was supposed to be doing until you came along and you were like, publish, 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 publish. And I'm like, oh. And there would be times when I would go back and I wanted to delete the, the podcast. I'd listen to it. And I'd be like, I can't believe I said that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be like, I'm going to cancel delete. today because of that one. Yeah. Right. Well, but that's the thing, right? I even bought the domain, um, dumbstuffjosh40said.com. Right. <laughs> yeah. Specifically you, for you that. Control the conversation. All right. Oh, yeah. Because I know it's going to come out someday. I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. Right. But having that like thing, that, that changed my life. Mm -hmm. the, the, there's two parts to this. The first I wanna talk about, actually, I'm not even gonna tell you the second part. The first I wanna talk to you about publishing, right? Like why publishing? Why is it so important? Like you are the CEO of this billion, well, were, you were the CEO of this billion dollar company, right? You've got all the money like that you need possibly ever, right? Like you, you don't have to be doing this, but like, yeah, you're here, you're doing a podcast and you're writing books and you're like, it's like, why Russell? Like why publishing? What does it do? Yeah. 
Um, I have a couple answers for that, but I'll lead with this interesting. So in my church, one of the things that they always tell us is that everyone should keep a journal. And I suck at keeping a journal. Um, and I've always wanted one, but I never had one. And I realize now looking back, kind of what you said, like I've been publishing a journal online for a long time. You think about like our forefathers, like how do we know about all these people and like like what they did and what they didn't do and all this stuff. It's like back in the day, people kept journals and they handed down from person to person. I mean, you look at what is the Bible? What is the Book of Mormon? They're people's journals, right? Like this is the writing. This is what they saw. This is what they experienced. And like because they wrote those things down and handed them on, like we benefit from them today, right? Like none of us should be starting over at ground zero when we're born. Like we're starting at ground zero, you're coming and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're starting from, from scratch, but you have this you know, however many thousands of years of people that have gone before you, you can have a chance to jump on and progress from there. And so it's like, we're taking these things from people and we're able to jump into them, right? Like you read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, like you're taking their journals, you're reading them like, cool. I saw what they saw for, firsthand. Therefore, now I'm able to build upon, upon their, their legacy, right? I think it's the same thing with publishing. Like, like if we're not doing that, first off, I, I believe it's a commandment for like us to be published. Like we're supposed to be keeping journals or putting, like putting things out there. Uh, not for so much for us, like, we do get a lot of value. I'll talk about it in a second, but like it's for the next people. It's for the people we're, we're called to serve, right? They have these things now to, to look back on and to, to like start ahead of where the, we started, right? Like, like society and the world should be progressing continually throughout time. Like we all start back like, hey, here's two sticks. Let's rub them together. It's like, no, like we have like things that start fire. Like, like, like we're able to build upon the shoulders of giants, right? So I think like that's part of it. And like us as humans, like we're learning, we're growing, like we're doing these things. Like what a tragedy if we don't leave that behind for somebody, right? And so like, that's why either writing a book or a podcast or something, but you're leaving your life lessons behind for the next people to like, to start. So they have to learn how to rub two sticks together, start a fire. They're starting with like a flamethrower and they can keep moving forward. And now, you know, what happens in a year from now, 10 years from now, hundred years from now, like, like where they're at because of what you did. So that's like a, just a thing that like, um, I think about from like a legacy standpoint, I guess from a, from a, like, why do we do it technically? Like it's, it's for a couple of purposes. Um, number one is like, it helps each of us to find our voice. Like, I feel like you are better naturally and maybe not. I haven't seen your earliest episodes, but I feel like you were better naturally uh. publishing than me. I was not like, hmm. uh, if you look at my old stuff, like I was so bad. Like, in fact, I feel like God gave me, made me the worst of the worst so that he could like, be like, if that guy can do it, any of you guys can do it. Right. But like, it helps you to find your voice. Like I, I was not comfortable talking in anywhere. <laughs> like, and, but it got me talking consistently over and over and over again, where you feel more comfortable and you feel less awkward and you start like putting these thoughts into, into coherent words. Like you said, like the act of writing is like taking chaos and simple and putting it into a process or framework. So it's good for you. Um, and so that's a, a big part is it gives you time to find your voice. Um, you know, one thing people always, it's kind of the pros and the cons of people like, well, I'm publishing, but no one's listening to it. I only got three views or whatever. And it's like, the, the initial part is good because at first you're not very good, but it gives you a chance to like figure those things out while the audience is small. As you get better and better and better, your audience starts finding you. And then now you have a chance to publish to bigger audiences and you get better and more people come to you. Um, in, I get some of the books blended up now. I think it's in Expert Secrets. Maybe it's Traffic Secrets. Um, but I shared a, no, I think it was Traffic Secrets. I shared a, a blog post that Nathan Barry, he's the founder of ConvertKit. He wrote this blog post called um, um, Publish Law or uh, yeah, publishing long enough to get in, to get noticed. Or yeah, it was traffic secrets. Yeah, um, and it was interesting because he talked about. He's like, if you think about most TV shows nowadays, right? He's like, he's like, you don't like new shows coming out. Let's go watch uh, see episode number one. Like most of us, we wait until something has been you know three or four seasons in. Then we're talking about it. it's like, oh cool, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna start at the beginning and binge watch all the shows, right? Like we wait because there's so much content being produced. We wait to see like what's gonna rise to the top, what's gonna last beyond itself, right? If something lasts a season gets canceled, it's like okay, must not have been good. Glad I didn't waste my time on that, right? 
but it's been out three seasons and everyone's talking about it. it's like okay this is worthy of my time and i'm going to go back and so what consistent publishing does is it gives you the ability to last long enough for your audience to find you right mm-hmm. to see that you're going to rise to the top the fact that you did 500 episodes of your original podcast shows that like it's good enough that you're keeping on doing it. You're still interested, right? Other people are interested. It's like, it's rising to the top where now it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to invest time in Josh's podcast because he's invested so much time in it. I know it's got to be good. Right. And so publishing does a couple of things. It gives you a chance first off to find your voice. And second off, it gives your audience a chance to find you. Okay. And so yeah. that's why it's so key. I tell people all the time, like if you publish every single day for a year in a year from now, your money problems will go away because you'll have an audience. Your people you've been called to serve will have had chance to find you if you are consistently doing it. If you're doing one podcast every week or two and like not doing consistent, like that's not, it's probably, unless you're like, you are so good, you nail it and they go viral. It's probably not realistic that people are going to, are going to be able to find it. Um, yep. It comes down to consistency. Um, there's a, my favorite YouTube video on all of YouTube. So that says a lot. There's a lot of YouTube videos. Um, yeah. If you go to, in fact, let me triple check right now as we're live, but you guys should all go to YouTube and type in work to publish. I think we'll pull it up. Work to publish um this is actually one of my competitors so jack conti uh, started patreon but he's got a youtube video from a little event he did and the video is like 10 minutes long it's called work to publish by jack conti it is the greatest video on the entire all of youtube for sure maybe the entire internet but it's all about this like we're i mean russell this episode is on youtube so okay well, this this one will now trumpet this will now be the newest best okay this will be the new coolest but, one. <laughs> but this is the thing he's talking about he talks about like we're not we don't know what we're gonna be famous for right and most of us are trying to make the thing we're going to be famous for. We don't know what it is. So you got to put stuff out there. He talks about funnels, actually, which is probably why I love it so much. But he's like, he's like, the world's a funnel, right? Like he talks about uh, artists who like wrote uh, 10,000 songs. From that, they had you know, 100 hits. And from that, two became whatever. And one became the greatest thing in the world. Like we don't know what we're going to be famous for. We don't know what the world's going to want. We don't know what the market wants until it's out there. So our job is to be publishing and putting things out there. So we're, again, it's called work to publish. Like I hope you guys all go and watch that video. But um it's all about putting all these things out there because you have no idea what the world's going to know, like what the world's going to grasp onto, right? You publish 100 videos, one might go viral, and that's the thing that goes big, right? Um, but you don't know yeah. that until you publish 100 videos. So it's key to be out there and like working to publish and putting these out there consistently over and over and over again. Um, and as you do that, again, you find your voice, the market finds you, and then you find the threads that go deep, right? You found for yep. you. It was you talking about master story that went deep that all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, my people want this. Now I know what to put my business, my brand, and everything around. But you didn't know that. I mean, how many years have you been in business now before you identified that? Four and a half years. Of- yeah, four and a half years. Everyone's yeah. getting in business. Like, yeah. I'm going to wait till I figure out my click funnels. Like, what? You will never find your click funnels because you are not worthy of it because you haven't gone out there and published your face off, right? I found funnels because I was hundreds and hundreds, maybe even a thousand episodes into me publishing stuff. And I was like, man, there's this common thread. The thing that people keep wanting from me the most is this thing called funnels. Maybe we should double down on that. I'm going to write a book on it. And then that's where all of a sudden my world changes. But it came down to me publishing insane amounts. I mean, I ran a print newsletter for a decade, 12 months for a year, for 10 years. So that's 120 issues of a print newsletter I ran teaching everything that I could figure out before I figured out like for the pulse of the market was like, oh, funnels. That's what we want from you. Like, oh, really? Wow. Huh. I'm going to go deep on that. But mm-hmm. I want you guys to understand like it's like you don't find those things. You don't become worthy of your calling until you've shown up and you keep doing it. And then it's going to hit you in the face. Master stories hit you in the face. Funnels hit me in the face. Literally. Like it was like, I've been doing this for two years. Why did I notice it? Yeah. And so like, and what's interesting, what's interesting too with that is like, I know for me, and this goes back to stories and I'm not biased in any way, shape or form. I'm the most unbiased, completely, you know, (laughs) non-polarizing, non-opinionated person. 
Um, but like for me, like the thing that not only made my stories better, I mean, made my podcast better and allowed more people to actually go and listen to them and share them and spread them was the better I got at telling stories. And the way that I always do, I give this analogy. I live in Colorado, right? Freaking blizzard outside right now. But I live like 10 minutes from the foot of the mountains, right? And in the mountains, there's all these little creeks and streams and waterfalls and lakes and things. There's one river, right? One. And that river is the one that comes down and goes to Colorado River and it goes and it, you know, does all Colorado and all of California and like whatever it is, right? That river, that's your master story. Everything has to lead back to the master story. But guess what? All those creeks and streams and lakes and ponds, all those are pieces of content, right? And, and if you want people to go and get into that river, into your story, into your world, know about you, all that, you got to go and put out those lakes and those streams and those you know, creeks to all flow back into that. And so like, when you do that, think of every single piece of content, whether it's an ad or a podcast or a thing, as a, 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 you know, something you're throwing out there to grab the people and bring them back into that river, right? And so you're literally just telling little pieces of the master story from those. You're telling this analogy, you're going you know, further in, or this one, and going further in. And that brings people back in, and it brings them down the mountain, down into your business, down into your world. Dude, that's the way that I... So good. Yeah. And I'm curious, can I, can I ask you a question on that? Yeah, yeah. Because you were talking about this for a long time. When was it that you just like that's that analogy, that story? Because it's powerful, it's beautiful. I can see mm-hmm. the visual. Like, when was it when you were like, it's like a river and lakes? Because there was a time that 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 didn't just like, oh yeah, come up in your head. I want people to understand this. this isn't something like Josh is like, oh, it's like day number one. I'm sure somewhere you're like, you had the epiphany of like, oh, this is what it's like, and now it's like this tangible thing that we can all look at and like, it makes so much sense. Yep. Okay. No, I, I know exactly when this happened too. So I'm reading Expert Secrets. Guys, there's a great book of all time. Theme, Come on now, read it. Okay? Greatest book of all time. <laughs> like one marketing book for the rest of my life. Here it is. Okay. But one of the things that you kept talking about, and I would, every single time I would watch a podcast from you, or every single time I would watch a webinar from you or whatever, this thing you kept saying is kind of like, kind of like, kind of like, kind of like, it's the kind of like bridge, right? It's the kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, I'm like, okay, there's got to be a kind of like bridge for a master story. Like, I don't know what that is. And so I start going and I, I came up with like 20 different ones I was trying. It was just like flop, flop, flop. And so I did this exercise this was towards the end of last year. Um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to get on the phone. I'm going to get on the phone with 20 of my customers. And I'm going to talk to them one-on-one. And I'm going to start testing these analogies on that, right? And I literally would go and I would go on there and I would try one analogy towards the beginning and like wouldn't land, right? And then I would try like a different one, like later on in the call. Because my purpose of these calls was not to sell anybody. Right? That was the result that ended up happening. But I was like, I want to know the stories. I got to tell people to sell somebody. I did 20 different calls. Right, Most people don't even do two. Right, And about the fifth or sixth one in, that one was the one. Like I would tell it and like you would, I would actually see it. I would see people understand it. And they'd be like, oh, and they would start taking notes. Mm-hmm. Right? Or they would go and they'd start shopping on their computer. They'd be like, oh my gosh, I got an epiphany. And it was like that. Right? And as soon as I like, do that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the one. And like, when I first told it the first time, I was like, There's, this is for sure not the one. Yeah. Right? For sure not the thing that's going to make the most sense. Right? But then as I started telling it more and I started more, and this is when Leah came back in and was like, well, I thought it was a recording of you. Right? Because you just kept telling it over and over and over. And it always came back to that one. And it worked because here I am. I'm in Colorado. Everybody knows mountains, rivers. They understand the concept of it. And it just happens that Colorado has one river, right? And it all comes down the mountain. And like that becomes a thing. And so that's what it was. It was literally talking to my avatar, <laughs> not even creating content, like literally on the phone with them 20 different times, testing different kind of like bridges. See, so you guys, everyone's listening to this. Like, you understand you don't get to pick what you're famous for. Like, it's just putting stuff out there and then, like, listening to the market. Like, what do they respond to? What do they, what, do they, what do they want more of? Like, what do they listen to? So it's like during this first part, the creative part, the, it's fun. It's exciting. You're trying to figure things out. And it's really frustrating sometimes. You're like, ah, oh, what am I? Like, um, you know, I love Stephen Larson. We have this conversation a lot. Like, he's just like, ah, I'm good at all these things. Like, ah, it's like, yeah, but, like, he's done great. But as soon as he, like, 
he hones in on the thing, that's when he's going to blow up, right? Like for, for me, like I, I mean, it was 14, 15 years that I was doing well. I had a thousand things I was teaching that I was good at. It wasn't until like I, I had done enough that I heard the market and said, okay, I'm going to double down to funnels. So I write a book that with Todd, Bill click for like all of a sudden it's like, boom. And then, yeah, when you figure out that thing, but you can't know what it is until you're, until you're out there, like you said, talking to 20 people or doing 20 podcast episodes or doing blog posts. And, well, and that too. Are, we start finding those things out and identify. That came off the back of 500 podcast episodes too. Yeah. Like, and that's how I knew like, okay, well, I need to kind of like bridge. And that's how I kind of knew this. And then, and it's like your brain, one of the most powerful things that I learned about the brain is when I discovered this, like how the subconscious mind works. Yeah. Right. And I can't remember. It was uh, deep work. Right. One of my favorite. Oh my gosh. Like top 10 books of all time. Like psychotypernetics, non-Bible, not religious, but psychotypernetics, number one, but like deep work is like, oh, so good. Anyway, it's this yellow book. Anyway, so in that, he talks about how oftentimes the very best thing that you can possibly do like for your brain is just go to sleep. And you know why is he's like, because when you're focused on something for so long, you're trying to solve it in your conscious mind. He's like, when you give your mind a break, then your subconscious mind starts to solve it. And he's mm-hmm. like, 90% of your brain power is in your subconscious mind. And so he's like, most of the time you just need to go to sleep. You need to give your brain a rest and you need to let your subconscious mind solve it, right? And so many times I'm like stuck on something, stuck on something. I'll come back a day or two or three later. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I figured it out. And like it happened in 10 seconds, right? But it's like, because your subconscious mind was working on it. And so it's cool going through and telling stories and figuring out and doing podcasts and creating content and getting feedback or whatever, like that, that epiphany did not come right away. It came from my subconscious mind trying it over and over and over and over and over and over again. So, so cool. okay. Okay. I, I know you have a hard cut off. So do I. So I have a couple rapid fire questions for you. A couple of them come from the community. A couple of them I'm just super interested in. One of them. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for rapid oh, I'm fire? Ready. All right. Number one. What's the craziest way you've ever made money? Oh. Um. Uh, I can't even think. I mean, getting a legitimate job serving tables. I don't know. Um. Um. Probably sell. Uh. Buying weird stuff at at thrift stores and sell them on eBay. Uh, just because like it. I was finding weird stuff. Like I, I remember first thing I sold was a Michael Jackson record. Cause I was like, Oh, it's the King of pop. And it's gotta be worth tons. And like, uh, I think I paid two or three bucks for this CD and I sold it for like a dollar 50. Like I lost money on it. Um, because I didn't understand the market. So it's just like weird stuff like that. that I was finding when I didn't know anything about the market, I was like, Oh, this looks like it would sell. Um, that's probably the, the weirdest way, I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, next. So when you send out texts, from your community app? Mm-hmm. Is it actually you personally replying to them? Ooh, good question. Um, so when I first got it, the first probably year I had it, I was one sending it, I was one replying to it. And then um, it got so overwhelming that I didn't know what to do and I started freaking out. So now we have a team of people that do help me <laughs> with those. Uh, they escalate any confusing questions or things that are back to me. Uh, but most of the stuff that's like, the the little things are not me. Also, not true, okay. also true on Instagram and things like, um, if someone DMs, yeah, I do, all the DMs on Instagram are me, but all the comments and stuff are a team of people who are helping me to make sure that I don't go insane. <laughs> yeah. And Twitter, I found out the hard way. Here, Sorry, I was yeah, over there tweet. partying with you and you'd reply and I'd be all excited. Don't tell people so, I can't tweet. <laughs> not, not, Russell doesn't tweet guys. So if you ever want to bash Russell, go on Twitter. Yeah, no, I don't, even know. Don't, don't, don't bash Russell. I'm on Twitter. I will find you. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, anyway, um, okay. Uh, what is one and so I've, I ask a couple different questions at the end of every single podcast. So those two are specific to you, but there's a couple different ones that I ask for this. What is one truth that you have known to be true your entire life that has never changed? Because I think as we, as we grow older and we, you know, learn and we evolve, like the things that we knew to be true or that we thought to be true, or we thought it was the way the world works. A lot of them changes all the time, right? It's like, oh, I thought it was the world worked this way or whatever. 
So like, I always like to ask this, it's like, what is one truth that you've known since like, since as long as you can remember, like this is true. And the more you follow, the more you do it, like it, it has always remained true. It's never changed. Uh, I mean, it's spiritual. That's okay. Cause for me yeah. was in primary, we sing a song. I'm a child of God. We sing every single week. And I was like, who cares? Like, like it seems so common sense. Like it didn't matter. And especially in today's chaotic world, like, man, like doubling down on the values of that and what it means, it affects how I run my business, how I run my family, how I run everything. Like the fact that I'm a child of God has so much, like it's, it's certainty. It's, it's positive. Like all the good things happen because that one truth that is uh, not something you can prove, but it's, um, in fact, I, my very first book, more podcast episode, I talked about this. I was like, I'm like, there are these things that are like, that are like in, in, in uh, Euclidean geometry, like, like there's things that you can prove, but it's all based on these, these, um, these givens, like the, a point yep. line and the thing, those are the givens that are like, are truth that like, if, if those things are true, then all of geometry and all of math makes sense. If they're not true, then it all falls apart, but, and they can't prove those things they are unprovable. Um, and this is the same thing. Like it's one of those things that's a given and it's everything good in my life's come because of that thing. Um, it's never changed, never deviated. And yeah. Mm. So it's funny when I got ready to ask this question for you, I was like, he's going to go one of two ways with this. He's either a going to go spiritual or B he's going to be like funnels with the key to skill. <laughs> <laughs> that's the two. second truth. <laughs> that's the second truth. All right. Two more questions for you. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, you had 24 hours left on this earth. What would you do today? Oh, I'd grab all my kids and my wife and we'd go just hang out and tell stories for as long as we could till I passed out. All right. And then last question for you is what is like the number one hack that you have for getting smart? Oh, number one hack is um, Tony Robbins calls it net time, like no or something like that. Um, I, in between time when most people are watching TV or talking on the phone or whatever is when I am listening. In fact, for me, like I'll get, I'll get in the motion of like social media while I start scrolling for like a minute or two. And I'm like, ah, oh, like I'm losing brain cells by scrolling. And I, I close the app, open podcast app, click play. And I'm like, oh, like new stuff coming in. Or uh, I have three audio, three audio apps that I, I switch between depending on the day. I've got, I'm pulling my phone out. I've got Audible, Overcast, and Books. Those are my three things. Audible is my audiobooks. Overcast my podcast app. And then Books is every course I've ever bought from beginning time until now, I've ripped into audio courses. And so I have, 2000 courses in there. So I'm like flipping wow. depending on what I want to listen to, but it's, it's dumping the, the free time when I'm normally just like, with like audio, uh, audio content, spoken word. Love it. Russell, thank you so much for coming on. What a fantastic episode. This was so much fun. I appreciate you. Dude, first off, congratulations for you. I'm excited for you. Excited for the new journey, for the new podcast, all that stuff. And just grateful for you, man. Grateful how you serve your community. And, um, so I keep showing up, man. I get ROI off every conversation we have. And so grateful for you. And um, love that you're doing this. Congratulations. Thank you, man. I super, super appreciate it. Guys, it's been my honor and privilege to have Russell Brunson as the number one episode of the Josh Forty Effect. Thank you so much for coming on, Russell. Guys, I just realized that my signature sign-off contains the words think and different in it, and I'm not allowed to use that. So, Russell, you're going to be an episode where I don't have a signature <laughs> sign-off. So, as always, guys, you're one far away. I'll be mine. <laughs> Right, right. Be smarter. And if you think you're smart, you're probably not. All right, guys. I love you all. Seriously, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever it is you're listening. Russell, we'll talk to you soon, man. Bye. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Thanks, Steven.